We are. And we're back. And we're back. Okie doke. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'd say give them... I'd say give everyone roughly one minute. I don't have access to the Battle Red radio broadcast, so right. what I'm going to do is I am going to find the stream on my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go on Battle Red Radio on my phone, and I'm going to copy and paste the stream into my Twitter account. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to like share it, and then you guys can either do the same or you can retweet mine. Sure. Um, and it looks like it looks like it's already recognized that I'm live. Hello, everyone. I don't know if anyone's watching. It says zero people are watching, so <laughs> they won't Ten mind. People the, didn't uh, survive the migration. We're, we're doing we're doing post for posterity. <laughs> so share share. Let me copy the. Well, I can do this on my computer. I'm a dummy. Uh, I, can't even, I can't even remember the last time I've wrote and I read blog. So this is uh, just <laughs> doing it for the doing it for the cause. Oh yeah, <laughs> I am going to copy and share this link into the email thread so that anyone that's waking up in the morning can click on this if they don't trust uh, Matt's link for some reason or another. So okay. yeah, because this is this is officially the night moves hour. Mm-hmm. Yep, to the new stream. Which let me see. Um... Sketch wall. So, um, Carlos, your first memory, mm-hmm. of course, is very fitting that you, uh, the first memory you have is Texans' failure. Uh, oh, yeah, right. So, I just vividly remember, and it was the only, it was the first time I'd ever really, I think, gotten mad, like, vi- like deeply frustrated and angry over. Sports stuff, because I had watched the Astros growing up, and so mm-hmm. I've watched Albert Pujols kill my dreams too, one, too many times. And so that was a different kind of reaction. That was just, like, deflated, defeated. Like, I would just want to go lay down. When the fail Mary happened against the Jaguars, I remember I just turned and chucked a pillow, like a couch pillow, at the wall and just, like, yelled because it was so crazy so sudden and so shocking that we lost in that fashion and uh, it really set me up well for (laughs) so many future texans goofs but um i do remember that vividly and i think it was the first time i realized like i actually really care about this team and i care about this franchise and like i watched the first few games uh like kind of half-heartedly like oh this is interesting but that game i realized like i'm a fan i'm hooked I'm here. And so that's how I knew. Joe, do you have a story you want to share about your first Texans memory or what got you hooked on the Texans? So like I mentioned earlier, I grew up a Steelers fan. I didn't actually grow up a big sports fan. I didn't really get Mm -hmm. into sports until late high school, early college. But even before that and during that, it was mostly Pittsburgh related because I grew up on this side of the, in the Pittsburgh area. Um, where 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 did you go to college? If you just add the color, Penn State. I went to college oh, cool. at Penn State. Okay. Sorry, yep. I, I, I remember you just said that, so sorry. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's funny. I have a long family lineage lineage of Penn State graduates. My grandma went to Penn State. She loves Penn State football. My aunt went to Penn State. My cousins went. My mother and father both liked Penn State, um, and now I went. Uh, but. 
Uh, Ryan, I think, left for a second. He must have lagged out or something. I imagine he'll be back in a second. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But um, There he is. Yep, there he is. Hi, Ryan. Uh, no, it's okay. But I was basically just I was just going through like a whole bunch of my family members went to Penn State. So it was kind of natural that I would go to um, along with my twin sister. But I grew up a Steelers fan and all that. But I wasn't a big uh, sports fan until late high school, early college. And I just remember my first few videos of watching NFL, like just watching it for the sheer enjoyment of it, besides Steelers games or Steelers Super Bowls. Uh, was I watched a highlight video of the Texans versus the Seahawks in 2017. And this was after a exhausting day of class in undergrad. And I had just gotten back to my apartment and I just, I just saw um, the Texans Seahawks highlights of it on the YouTube, on my YouTube recommended. And I was like, you know what? I just like, I'll watch it, whatever. Um, and I remember watching it and, Deshaun Watson's ability to just make amazing plays out of nothing. Will Fuller's ability to catch any pass that was near him and his ability to create separation way down the field and the amount of offensive explosion they created in that like 10 minutes of video was so like intoxicating that just watching that video, I was like, I, I got to watch as much Deshaun Watson and Texans related content. I need to consume as much Texans media as I possibly can because that 10 minutes of watching Deshaun Watson completely ruin the Legion of Boom was so amazing that I could not go the rest of my life without knowing the Texans there was that was the moment where I was like this has to be I have to know everything about the Texans now I can't go without knowing Deshaun Watson the Texans this has to be the moment so then I have the question then is is because you're so young in your fandom of the Texans is going to be interesting when they get rid of Deshaun Watson that you're going to want to stay with the team it's it's really challenging because you're right the the reason I got into the Texans was because is Sean Watson and Will Fuller, which Deshaun Watson definitely isn't going to be here, and Will Fuller is very likely not going to be here. So the two players that got me into the Texans are going to be gone next year. So this is you know a challenging time as a fan that came in as part of them. But since falling in love with the Texans because of those two players, I have now absorbed. A lot of their recent history, I have now absorbed the fanship of Watt and Jadevian Clowney back in 2018 and DeAndre Hopkins back in 2018 and 19 and falling in love with the team during the 2019 season and seeing them fight through game after game. I remember loving watching that Oakland game, that, that Texans versus Oakland game over and over because I was like, the Texans and the Oakland are both playoff caliber teams in 2018. This game will basically decide where they end up in the playoffs. And watching Deshaun Watson get kicked in the eye and get back up and throw a touchdown pass to Darren Fells. And I liked Darren Fells when he was on the Browns in 2018. So I was excited to see him go back, go go to the Texans in 2018 because I was like, all right, he's on a team that I like. Um, so like seeing Deshaun Watson get kicked in the eye, throw a touchdown pass to a player I already write, I already liked. 
And I was like, this is the team that is going to go to the playoffs and I'm going to fall in love with. I mean, I love the Steelers, but at that point, Roethlisberger had already was going through Tommy John surgery. So we were, we were an eight and eight team in the flesh. So the Texans completely absorbed my attention in the past couple of years because of Deshaun Watson's like magnificence. And now that he's being traded, I see this as an opportunity that even though I love Deshaun Watson and I think he's potentially the best quarterback in the league besides Patrick Mahomes, I really think that Deshaun Watson is the second best quarterback in the league. And Deshaun and Mahomes is first, obviously. Um, I think that getting rid of the second best quarterback in the league will give the Texans the opportunity to hit the reset button and build in build an entirely new history. Like this is the Roman empire moment for the Texans. Like the Roman Republic was a mess. The Roman Republic was a whole bunch of headache. And then Augustus came along and made it the Roman empire. And there was this Renaissance period for the Roman civilization that was amazing. And like what we understand as modern civilization is more or less based on this, Augustus area era of of the Roman Empire. And this is a moment for the Texans to move on from the up and downs of the Deshaun Watson era and enter the Augustus area era of Texans history. This is the moment. This I mean they have to play their cards right and they have to do everything right to enter a better time than the Deshaun Watson era. But if they do it, if Nick Casario does it, then this is a time of unprecedented, like, you know, fantasy for Texans fans. And the potential of that happening is so great. And the fact that this is the first time in history a player of Deshaun Watson's caliber is going somewhere else in the offseason. Like, the fact that that's happening is so crazy that there's no way I can give up Texans fandom. There's no way. Like, this is just such, this is so crazy. Like, I can't. I have to sit. This is like the most suspenseful movie I've been in. I can't give it up. This is just too exciting, even though I hate it and I hate Deshaun Watson's going. It's just too weird that I can't take my eyes off of it. So this is where I will equate it to my own fandom of where I've been. Is Maybe even Carlos doesn't know of, of uh, I've written for uh, – all the SB Nation uh, Houston teams outside of the Dynamo, which I offered, but they wow. didn't want me to. Um, <laughs> but the point is, the point is, is that uh, the the most enjoyment I got of of the Astros fandom before all that kind of got a little tarnished because of what came out later was uh, seeing it from the bottom up. Is that while everyone called it tanking, it's just like, hey, the, the farm system is barren. There's like three or four assets in the major leagues that literally – that the only thing we can do with it is trade with it or keep it for four or five years before we even possibly sniff the playoffs. Right. Is it part of what your fandom is right now is seeing a, seeing a clean slate happen and knowing, okay, everything that comes after that I will have seen and watch happen and watch every person grow because I feel like that's a lot of what becomes with the, the every every team that kind of not necessarily I don't want to put the label tanking on the Texans, but basically any team that's anyone that's 
been a fan of the Astros or the Seventy Sixers or any team that's uh, any team that's basically started from from uh, to to quote Drake, the the philosopher Drake uh, started from the bottom, and now we're here. Right. The journey's fun. I think a lot of it's that is that a lot of people are going to tune in. A lot of people probably tuned in to the Jacksonville season in 2020 because they knew like, you know, they knew seven weeks in they're one and eight or whatever. And they're probably going to be three and 13 or worse that Mm -hmm. this is the worst. This Jacksonville franchise is going to be. Let's see how the rebuild goes in the next two in next two to three years. And because the NFL is so fast, you can rebuild a team from, I mean, look at the Browns. They went 0-16 to 2017 to 11-5 in 2020. Three years is all you need to win a play to go from not winning a single game to winning a playoff team. And then four years is all you need to go from not winning a single game to Super Bowl caliber. So the Browns right. have set the mark. Now, right. this can this will rub a lot of like fans along race that you're not really a fan of the Texans. You're really just a fan of the process and you're just watching it from like an entertainer's perspective, not a sports franchise perspective. You don't like the Texans because of the Texans, you like the Texans because of the rebuild they're going through and you want to mm-hmm. see the results. Mm-hmm. And I can understand that argument, but this is where I'm going to defend myself is that I have fallen in love with the Texans during the 2018 and 19 season. I don't care how many games they lose or how bad they are is that I have developed a relationship with the Texans while watching them during this Deshaun Watson area era that I am not willing to give up. And Mm -hmm. I can understand the stigma against people that jump in during the crappy seasons because they want to see the rebuild, but you Mm -hmm. can't get mad at people that fall in love with a team because of a player and then they stick around during the rebuild or during the down years because a player is all you need to fall in love with a team. All you need is one right. good player right. and someone will fall in love with that team. And regardless if that player is there or not, they have a relationship with that one team. Right. So that's where I'm at right now is that I, f- I fell in love with the Sean Watson Will Fuller, and I I was a fanboy of them too. And even though they're both going to be on different teams next year, like I have developed a complicated relationship with the Texans, and that is not a relationship I'm willing to give up because of Jack Easterby's weirdness and Nick Casario's ambiguity. Like this is a relationship that I am willing to hang on to because it already gave me. Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller. And I have confidence in the Texans, regardless of how weird they are, that they will at least accidentally fall onto a player as exciting as Will Fuller or something. You know, Zach Wilson is the guy that I'm betting on, is that we trade with the Jets and we get Zach Wilson. That's the guy I'm betting on, because I know he'll provide me the entertainment that Deshaun Watson gave me. But I know that even if they don't do that, They'll get Mac Jones. I, I know that the entered. I, I know I have belief that they will give me something that I can bite onto for at least the next couple of years. So um, then, I, what I will ask then is, I think there's two parts of that. I'm really fascinated about what your explanation here is. That so, I think it's really weird that the NFL does in fact do this where. I think we can fall in love with the player and fall in love with the team at the same time. It doesn't necessarily, that player doesn't have to stay at the team for us to love the team. 
for example, what Joe was just saying, Watson and Fuller most likely are not playing on the same team next year. But you're still a Texans fan. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, it seems so fascinating to see that happen compared to, say, the NF, the NBA, where I think a lot of fans are okay. I just want to watch LeBron play. I just want to, yeah. I just want to see wherever he goes. I want to make. I sure like Chris Paul. Every... I'll, I'll follow Chris right. Paul. Right. Yeah. So if you like, I like Chris Paul. I like to go wherever he goes. I'm going to be a, a Clippers fan. I'm going to be a Rockets fan. I'm going to be a, a, a Suns fan. Suns. Or, yeah. Wherever he goes. Um. I just think that's that, that's fascinating, and I'm really happy that you're that you're aboard uh, about Red Log here, Joe. That I, I guess now the the next question I ask is how much would you want Texans to invest uh, to close out your just talking about your fandom and stuff? How much would you want them to keep Will Fuller? Is that is that would you want it to be enough that it would be a detriment to the team? Is there anything particular that you want to say? Hey, I want to keep Will Fuller at all cost, or is there anything about that 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 you want to that that would keep your fandom stronger by having Will Fuller on the roster? Well, I'll answer this question emotionally first because, like I just <laughs> explained, I, I I obviously have a personal relationship with the Sean Watson as a Texan and Will Fuller as a Texan. And this goes back to my, like his, my, my historian brain that was, that was drilled into me right. during undergrad right. is that eventually as a historian, eventually you have to acknowledge the humanity of a situation. Eventually you get to this just happened because people are people. And sometimes people make mistakes. Some people, sometimes people make really weird decisions. It's it's just people just do things because they're people and they're odd. Um, and humans are just generally weird. Um, is that I will go to the point of harming the franchise to keep Will Fuller. I will give him a fat <laughs> contract to stay because one, Tyreek Hill reaffirmed everything I need to need everything that I need to know that the future of NFL wide receivers is speed. Deshaun Watson reaffirmed everything that I need to know that scoring points in the NFL is all about how good are you at throwing the deep ball and how good as your receivers are at running deep and catching that football. So the combination of Deshaun Watson and Rolf Fuller is really similar to Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill is that Mahomes and Fuller or Mahomes and Watson are really good at throwing the deep ball and Fuller and Tyree Kill are both really good at catching the football deep and scoring touchdowns. So because of my human emotions and my human connections to that era of football and my determination to keep that era of football with the Texans, I am going to I am willing to go above and beyond to keep the tech to keep Will Fuller. Because I know Will Fuller is a fundamental part of the future of the Texans. Or the future of football, I should say. Because Will Fuller's a deep route runner. He's a great deep route runner. He can run routes great. He can catch the football. He's faster than 98% of the rest of NFL players. So he is part of the future of football. So I think you know when Bill O'Brien drafted him, that was a pretty smart draft pick. I mean, come on. I mean, I'll give that to Bill O'Brien. That was a smart draft pick. I mean, he paid off. Um, and 
you know, Fuller's going to get a big paycheck because of Bill O'Brien's genius decision back in 2016 or whatever. Uh, but hey, let's not put genius on him. Okay? <laughs> yeah, we'll just say disclaimer for good, everyone. Good, we're, good we're, idea. We're, yeah, we're in string two right now. I am like during the middle of Jeopardy, I was 100% drunk. Right now, I am at like 50% drunk. Uh, so I'm a little bit woozy still. Um, but, well, but me, yeah, like, let me, let me take over ahead, the mic. Ahead. Let me take over the mic here then for a second here for, uh, uh, uh Carl, I kind of dropped you an idea for, for next segment. Um, mm-hmm. but let me talk about my Texans fandom. So I, I, so, uh, so I'm more the old guard. Uh, I was in high school when the, the concept of Texans football came around, uh, 99 was, uh, right when I was in middle school, uh, 2002 was my freshman year in high school. So I was really prime Texans. Like I, like if I was going to dive in, I was literally the ideal, ideal person to jump in, to be like lifeline time Texan. My fan. I mean, I had some memories of the Oilers. I have some pictures of my dad taking me to Oilers games, but my family's not from Houston. I we we moved to Houston. My family's from uh, my mom's side's from Green Bay, so that makes us very much Packers fans. Uh, the the mom's side. I actually have a Packers stock uh, when they did their most recent uh, sale, and my dad's from Washington, so we're both there. That the the, uh, the family's very much old guard NFC stuff. But when Texas came around, I was all in. Like, uh, I'm, my earliest remember of Texans football is p- drawing a Texans logo on a, a paper football. Like, we would play in middle school. Like, literally just that little thing you flick and be like, hey, we would all have, like, 15 people on the te- in the school pick a team and, like, your paper football would have your logo on it. And mine would always be the Texans. The moment that the school logo is designed, I remember – Bob McNair holding up that white helmet that had the Texans logo on it. Like that day is etched in my memory. Uh, I remember turning on ABC 13 to watch the first game where David Carr, I remember him still like, I remember still having that, that Chronicle paper from the game they won against the Cowboys of like holding that, having that, that printout they had after that week after it's still, I have a copy of, that's this poster of them winning that first game against the, the, the Cowboys. So I've been in from the very beginning. Like I showed you guys earlier, I've got a Dominic Davis sign. Literally uh, the very beginning. Since yeah, his inception. Very, so, I mean, I mean, the earliest, the, my, my, my NFL memories are Texan memories. Like there isn't any, anything other, like I, I may have watched, watch other teams as well but i'm the one in the family that's a texans fan my sister who's younger is a washington fan she she watches football with my dad like that's that's their thing like my mom watches the packers like my grandfather watches the packers my my the, 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 that's the the line starts with my son had it had a at at one years old had a jj watt jersey like that's the line starts Texans here. So where I say your experience is different is like Joe and, and just everything and Carlos you've ever, you've explained eloquently here is that 
I've dealt with a lot of pain with this beta, but it just feels like it's like it's not meant anything yet at the moment here where it's at. So it's been I've been through all the fail Mary, the David Carr celebration of winning the game at the end, I, uh, the the Andre Johnson years, the Matt Schaub getting stepped on by uh, Albert Haynesworth. Like there's always been a positives, and there's always been super negatives. There's been the 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 varsity jacket game against the Patriots where it's just like, hell yeah, they're wearing varsity jackets. Cause that's Texans football. That's, 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 that's Texas. High school. That's Texas tradition right there. Here's a, a bleep about if, if, if it looks silly because it's professional football, I have, I, I can pull out right now my high school football jacket right there. And I can pull out my university of Texas jacket for a different reason. Because that's Texas. That is literally the essence yeah. of Texas football is to have a varsity jacket. Like that means the world to everybody. And, sh- and, and for all the goofiness, it got treated on the national stage. Like that means the world down here. Like, yeah, they didn't get it. They didn't get the Like, it's just for fun. Like, it's just like, Hey, that's we're we're the kids that aren't supposed to be here. But we're going to treat it like it's the biggest game on Friday night against the Patriots. And to now, it's like we're we're treating this like we have to be the most moral high. We have to win the right way kind of shit. I'm just tired of. Like, you have the one of the best five quarterbacks in the league. And I am just at my wit's end of just like, what's going on, guys? Figure it out. Like, I wouldn't honestly trade Jason Watson. If you have to take this year and say, okay, we need to cut everyone possible and suck it up and take eat the amount, amount of the amount of cap losses that you need to have to happen to turn the roster over, and say, screw it. You got to do what you got to do. People want to play for Deshaun with Deshaun Watson. Right. Figure it out. And the, what that's going to have to happen is you're going to have to turn over the front office. You're going to uh, Casario has to stay, but the the guy that's been clearly had a hand in everything. And if and if just from our discussions earlier, talk about if if the public knows that Jack Esterby had a hand in 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 Hopkins leaving the Texans, then that's too much information already. Because I can tell you right now. As a reporter, I know point A to point whatever before Hopkins leaves if I'm an NFL reporter. So if that's already happened and that that we know that that Estherby didn't like him, then that needs to change. And that's already public. So you can't go forward with the way we are right now. And that's where my fandom's at is more we're at a crossroads. And that crossroads is I would prefer to keep Sean Watson. And by any means necessary. So not to not to derail everything here of what it's at. Um Clips. Carlos, did you have anything pulled up here yet? Yes, yes, I do. I managed okay, to find some so things. Let me Not exact sure what's what, this, but 
Mm-hmm. Let me set the table and maybe we can ask for some more here. So we've talked about our fandom. Uh, I'm more an OG. Carlos and Joe are more the younger generations, which I really appreciate because I imagine there's just as many bad years as been the good years in the Texans fandom. Mm-hmm. But Carlos has been kind enough to pull up some Texans highlights of any kind or lowlights, whatever he pulled up. And we're going to comment to you on them. Perfect. Okay. Let's go with number one video file. I hope that that we have six viewers right now. So we have a few people that have come in in the, in the, in the dog days of time. And they've come in to listen to how we think about Texans. And we want to thank you. Before (laughs) we start this clip, do we have any idea what this might be? Uh, big run I, by big run, just big run for a touchdown. I, I'm I'm taking by the lean of the running back. That's uh, Arian Foster. So let's say it's going to go into the house. Okay, let's see. First quarter, Sage, however, playing on point. Great oh, action, is that what Shop boots. Oh, beautiful boots. Evan Walter. We call it the naked hand. Yes. Oh, so let's dissect that. Yeah. Kevin Walters lined up on the top here, I believe, all is the way that, outside. Who is that quarterback? Is that Rosenfeld? Oh, uh, I think it's it Matt Schaub. No, it, it was a double digit. Let's see. First quarter, Sage, however. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is Sage. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, wow. Kubiak so this is what? This is like 2009, 2010. This you is, could roll uh, out. You roll at any quarterback, and he would do half decent. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a pre-shop boot. Playing. On. This isn't the Rosen Coptic game, is it? <laughs> it's four. It's four thirty in the morning. I mean, okay, it's not the play, but it is the game. It doesn't. Okay. It doesn't matter. On point. Either just, I mean, Kevin just look, Walter look, look at Kevin Walters. Yeah, look at him. Look at his little dance. Just someone staring Ooh. back in the yeah, back some, you know, when you... Breaking ankles. Can't ask for anything more than that. Oh, what's, what's the, the most saddest highlight reel? Uh, uh, Kevin Walter wide receiver highlight reel or uh, Sage Rosenfeld highlight reel? What's shorter? <laughs> A lot of these are going to be Kevin Walters. I think, I think I think I have to say the Kevin Walter one might be long. Yes, it was enough for me to write an article about it. It was great. Okay, I loved it. It was one of my favorite retrospectives, if not my hey, most probably one of the most underrated Texans of all time. Hell yeah, tough as nails, could block, did everything he asked for, and as this next one, so he, jeez, is this next Houston? Wow, that's loud. They're a dome team, right? They shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, Kevin Walter oh. says it's a retractable roof. Oh. Okay, that wasn't really him. <laughs> <laughs> that was more or less the secondary. Dome. So we can play outside. Still, show is pretty. <laughs> oh my! Is this Rosenfeld's again? So Houston, they're a dome team. Uh, right? No, that looked like a. Secondary. They shouldn't be doing that. That has to be shot. This yeah, Kevin Walter uh, says it's oh, dude, got his knees chopped out. Oof. Retractable roof dome. We can play outside. Jesus, yeah. each other. That was too easy. Yeah, that was Shab. Love him to death. Shab had like you know I put so 
what is the general opinion? So this is one thing as a new fan. Mm-hmm. Like, this mm-hmm. is the new guy talking to the elder that knows everything in Houston Texans fandom. What is the opinion of Shab in Houston Texans fandom? Where does he lie in the pantheon of Texans characters? Second greatest quarterback he, behind, he, behind Deshaun Watson. I would uh, yes, Carlos is correct. Uh, at the same time, he was the uh, absolute Achilles heel for one of the best Texans teams ever. Yes. But he had some very impressive seasons. So there's got to be some people that were like, man, 2012 Matt Schaub, you know, where I think it was 2012 was his best year. What was it? Let me rephrase rephrase that. So like how Deshaun Watson is now where the rest of the roster is shit. The opposite was the happening. The roster was great. Schaub was I at best. Like he was above average, but. But in, in the in the league where your quarterback has to be great, he was above average. Right, <laughs> it's always just there, just there. Yeah, let's let's but, but let's let's let it fudge. Let's see. Oh, I remember this. Oh, this was the best. <laughs> Oh my gosh! This was a uh, this was an absolute barn burner between uh, Houston and Jacksonville uh, from forever ago. When was it? Yeah, 2012. There we go. Matt Schaub threw for over 500 yards in this game. Um, Jesus. And, and <laughs> yes, Matt Schaub threw for over 500 yards in this game. Put the team on his back. It was like match was an empty like the entire freaking game. It was amazing, and uh, it came down to it. I think this was yeah. This was not too long after the fail Mary with David Garrard, and so this was like the ultimate payback um, with this uh, little screen. I mean, this was straight up Andre doing ninety nine percent of the work, but it's beautiful screen forms. Who would be who would be the right tackle in twenty twelve, Dunsmore? It doesn't matter. Because <laughs> um, um, I mean, we can think of left tackles, but on the right well, side. Well, it's, just... it's it's Dwayne Brown, but um, shit, mm-hmm. you gotta. Get, I mean, I need Pat here to answer every other question. <laughs> the historian and eighty-three. I'm ga- I'm gonna take a guess and and assume that that's Owen Daniels getting that block right there. Uh, here. Yes, it is. That is Owen Daniels. Let me. Um, I'll pull it up while we're looking at okay. it here. We got um, a guard like <laughs> fifty miles down the Oh my gosh! Yes, and Andre is too fast. Iced him in overtime. Beautiful. Uh, let's see what else. Yeah, remove these while they're here. May, may, Carlos, make sure not all these are good clips. Like, I want I want the Albert Hainsworth clip too. Ooh, I will find that one. Okay. I will make one, but there will be some lowlights, specifically uh, pick sixes, and those are okay. Hurt. Um, Oof, he's gonna bring back all the smoke. 
<laughs> this one. What, what year is this uh, highlighting? The one that we were looking for? 2012. So it would have been 2012's right tackle. Okay. Oh, I know this one. Uh, this is another Kevin Walter bomb. I should Play know action. this. It's Derek Against... Newton. This is the moment. Oh, it was Derek Newton? Really? What, that long ago? The... Yeah. Wow. Jeez, so, I can't believe that was that long ago. So Matt Schaub is getting rocked on this frame right now. He just launched this football, and he just oh, had yeah. all of his rib cage okay. get obliterated. Okay. All of his right rib cage got murdered by whoever just tackled him. Okay, yeah. Pause it right here, Joe. Mm -hmm. What I need to tell you is, Carlos knows this as well. That yes. is what Natchov did every play. <laughs> just <laughs> eat he it. He got it. He got his ass lit up all the time, and still mm -hmm. drew through those passes. <laughs> that is beautiful. Roll the beautiful. Roll the You should see the one where he lost his ear. Boom. Oh, my God. And you know what this did? You know what his toughness did? It gave an excuse to those new leaders of Texans to look for guys that are tough, smart, and dependable. Right. Matt Shaw. You know who defines that? Matt Shaw. Oh, yeah. Kevin Walter and Matt Shaw. This is where uh, you learn that Kevin Walter is so generic. He doesn't even have a touchdown celebration. He literally took like four seconds to figure out, oh, I need to spike the ball. <laughs> Come on. Look, Gregor bumps off his man. Probably a little too hard. Oh, what a Just perfect throw. Perfect throw. Absolutely gorgeous. Phil Sims doing his homework. Doesn't even know who 83 is. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Which one? Oh, God. Here we go. Okay. I think this is the start. I'm going to have to drive. Like, see, this is, the, this is mm -hmm. the homework of a new Texans fan. Is hey, the Matt Schaub era. Once I'm done with this article... You know, I've gone through the Deshaun Watson era. The Deshaun Watson era has begun and it has ended. So, to establish my fanhood in firm ground, it's time to go back in time and fill my knowledge with some depth. And that means going back to the Matt Schaub era. And that's you will love him by the that's end. My, that's my spring and summer project is is watching Schaub stuff. That's that's what it is. Carlos, I did put in before we start this clip. I did put a request in, so if you can find it. But roll, roll this match out, please. Okay. DeAndre Hopkins connects with the rookie for a 25-yard gain. First oh, and goal from the tight end. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no. The drive. What was Shaw, this? Why DeAndre is this Hopkins here? connects with the rookie for a 25-yard gain. I mean, First yeah, it was a great, it was a great Carlos, catch. But. Carlos, is that Aaron Foster in the background, too? Is that a match? Yeah. Is that a Matt the Schaub, Arian Foster, the Hopkins highlight? Schaub, DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> yeah, connects right. with the rookie for a 25-yard gain. Okay. For okay. This, this came out of the Twilight Zone is what this is. <laughs> Gee. Okay. Next one. This came, this came out of a time unborn. 
goal from the Titans. Three eleventh play of the drive. Shop says, game. I'm going to Hopkins. Game. Touchdown. Oh, my. Texans love it. Oh. Shop. Oh, just DeAndre so DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins was that man before he even began. <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins was the He's clutch player guy. for Houston before his like before before people knew his name, really. Oh, probably. Yeah. Those are early, early, early. First touchdowns. down shop play action. Throws What's long this? downfield. Watts Andre Johnson. <laughs> 40, breaks the tackle, the 30, the 20, the 10, oh, rock and roll, up. touchdown, Andre Johnson, 77 hey, can, I, can I make one one more request? I would do these, uh, uh, Carlos, I would get these, but mm-hmm. I apparently don't have access to that. Can you, can you get uh-huh. Andre Johnson's first touchdown with the Texans? Because that I was there for that. That was that was my Andre one Andre Johnson's of, first touchdown. Okay. Against the, the, the Chiefs. Okay. Against the Chiefs. I will try to find that because so, I have to cut so, these. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me see. Uh, should I just upload the ones that I have currently, and then y'all can yeah, kind of yeah, mess yeah, around yeah, with yeah, them yeah, until yeah. I? No worries, no worries. We're good. Let me upload. We're having a good time. I'm having a, I'm having a really good time. I hope I'm not talking loud because I get a little loud when I'm drunk. No, you're fine. You're fine. Let's see. Okay, uh, we gotta we gotta figure out how long we gotta go before the next. Uh, Yes. There. Those three clips, and I will start hunting the other one. So can y'all can y'all actually like manipulate the clips on your yes. end? Okay. Cool. Uh, I can't. So okay. maybe Joe can. Joe can. I, 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 can you see me messing I around really with it right guess. now? Yes. Yes, I can. Hey, okay. I'm flipping from like one second to two second right now. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. I have control of the movement, the pause, and the volume. Okay. Okay. So and I will. So start shop, shop in the shotgun. Do you want me to unpause? Yes. Okay. Yates and the Texans offense in perfect oh, position. Oh, Yates. To okay. Kevin Walter for the touchdown. Yates. Wow. Let's get them Yates. Oh, Is that that's, TJ Yates? That's, that's, that's pretty one of the big one memories right there because that's a, that's a – I think that put them in the playoffs or something like that if I remember correctly. Wow. Carlos, do you remember? Uh Oh, is that the touchdown to Kevin Walter? Yes. Yes, yes, that did put them in the playoffs for the very first time. It was uh, the Bengal Killers' first, yes, first go-around. That, thank you, Carlos, because uh, you did not drink with us, so you remember. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Joe, do you have another clip to roll on through? Oh, I have, I have several clips, baby. Uh, so... Let me let me get you guys. So I tried to separate. I I have a very you know postmodern uh, conception of fandom with the Texans, which is new you're, or you're, hostile to old fans. Um, so I thought you're, this might you're, you're spelled new with like an umlaut. <laughs> yes, yes, um, but. I decided maybe I can maybe the best way to define my my view of the Texans is through video. So these okay. I, I compiled four clips that I that I will try to talk through and describe you guys how I felt and thought of the Texans while watching these videos for the first time. So mm-hmm. let me share my screen. 
mm-hmm. uh, share screen. And I think if I want to do audio, I think I have to click this specific tab. So the first one is obviously going to be, this is going to be the fire that ignited my Texans fan f- fanship, which is, um, Ooh, the, the, the fire rises, the, the fire rose on the Texans versus Seahawk 2017 game, which, uh, you should be able to see right now. Okay. Is it full screen? Can you see it right now? It's loading. Yeah. 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 We're good. Okay. So I will play it right now. So there, the, there's a specific play I highlighted, quarter, quarterback which is like after Richard this. He's in great position. I'm, it's after and this, then, but this was a very important play. The quarterback just simply but throws the ball behind the framework the is this, is that the this is the play. This is the play. Second down eight, lot in this direction. Watson to the end zone, caught for a touchdown. Ooh. Okay. Ooh. So this okay. play was the moment where I was like, I really like Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller because Will Fuller on this play specifically and DeAndre Hopkins clowned Richard Sherman back to back for a touchdown. Deshaun Watson as a rookie clowned the ball behind the on this play takes the snap. Fakes it to him, goes that way, is actually going way deep, completely fakes out Sherman, and throws a touchdown. It's like this rookie, along with a young Will Fuller and a coming into his prime Deshaun Watson, just completely ruined what my mind thought was one of the best defenses in the NFL at the time with Richard Sherman, Bobby Wagner, Earl Thomas, which I think this was before his injury. Like, my mind thought, like, how in the world is this Texans team going to stand a chance against this defense? And a rookie quarterback in Deshaun Watson just ruined them. So this was the moment. This was the moment that I fell in love with the player Deshaun Watson and the player Will Fuller. And then if I go to the next clip, let me see if I can go to the next tab. When you share your screen... Uh, when yeah. you share your screen and you play a video on YouTube, does it play the? It plays the audio. That's what you're just doing, right? It play. It should play the audio and the video, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that makes things way easier. Okay, I don't even have to make clips. You can just pull them up. Yeah, that's what. That's so, what I. Yeah, I decided I wanted. To, didn't want to download them, so I'm doing that. Okay, what were you nice. gonna say, Ryan? So what the thing is, I would take out of that is I, I really understand where you're coming from. But that is, if you're watching those clips, you see that it's not just. It's not just a formation that, that was making those plays. It was a connection of understanding, okay, I need to put the ball at a specific spot for Hopkins to be able to make that weird diving catch that he made. And the same time for Hopkins, where you're uh, for um, Fuller, is that you're making this route where he's tight to the formation and does the, the quick out in the end zone against one of the top defenders in the league. I mean, I can understand. Like, that's that's one of the biggest things there of, of making this connection. Of, hey, man, I really want to watch these, this team each week. To, yeah, and, and it's like, to an owner, those are the money plays. Those are the play that if a random person that doesn't care about football at all sees on Sports Center or something, they're going to be like, I have to keep an eye on the on this team. Because, mm-hmm. because and for me, it was... To me, the history of recent NFL was the Legion of Boom completely dominating the league. And when I saw a rookie quarterback 
and a young wide receiver just win their Fortune. matchup against them through through execution, through their own execution. Not only good play design that was really entertaining, but mm. fantastic execution. It was like these two players have something, and I mm. would be wrong to miss them again because I need to see this every time. If they can clown Richard Sherman like this, I need to, I need this I need to keep aware of them. Um it's just that like this is a moment where history can change. This was the best defense in, in the NFL from what my brain understood. And then all so of a sudden these two young players broke them. What's the next clip you got here? The next clip is the 2018 game against the Texans. This is overtime. They're both tied. This was a slog fest. I remember watching this on Sunday Night Football with my dad. It was a slow game. It was a like it was just a slugfest between the two teams. Every yard was brutal. And then this play happened. And then this play happened. <laughs> oh, the spin move. I forgot about that. And and the specific moment I remember from this. I mean, obviously it's the freaking whirling dervish with the Al Michaels play call. But it's also, it's it's the fake toss again. Deshaun Watson faking people out. It's Hopkins doing the spin, and then it's him keeping both hands on the football as he. It's it's Hopkins falling down, making sure he keeps both hands on the football, sticking his arms out and his forearms out to make sure he gets as many yards as humanly possible to keep his team as close as possible to victory during a pivotal overtime game because Dallas, you know, they're two and two Houston's one and three trying to get their way back into playoff contention, trying to get their, their season back on the track. And Deshaun Watson is doing everything he possibly can sticking his, his torso and his arms out as far as he possibly can, as he's falling down to make sure that it secures his team a win so that they can get back on track. And this, this play was the moment where I was like, there's something else going on here. It's right. not just Watson and Fuller. It's not just the players. There's there's more going on with this team that that demands my attention and I am in love with it. This was the moment where I was like, I I I just I need to be a part of this team. I need to I need to have my mind on this team. Well, I went a little too far back. But like this well, moment. But I get, I, I get what you're saying is that like you could tell that like the combination of Hopkins, Fuller, and Watson was enough to be an NFL offense. Yeah, like, th- th- it makes no sense to me now that you how how could you have flubbed this up so badly that we're having to think <laughs> about okay that 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 we need to talk about trading Watson when in reality. Uh, you have the building blocks for one of the best NFL offenses right now. Like we, we, we not to circle back because I, I love the, the, the clips you're going to is like how badly have we screwed up the Hopkins part of this? Like there was no reason to think he was going to drop off. Like, but mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I appreciate Joe, what you're, what you're bringing to the table here. Just what you're, we're talking about how, seeing what the greatness was that was in that connection and why in the world did we step away from it? 
Okay. And now, so what we got here, 2018 Texans uh, Titans. Yes. I, I have two more clips, this one and then the next one. But yeah, yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to set the stage. So the Seahawks and the tight in the Texans clip was the moment that I became a Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller fan. The, Texans versus Cowboys clip from 2018 was the moment that I became aware that the Texans are a legitimate football team that demands my attention and adoration that like that Hopkins, Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller combo was like, this is a league changing combination that I am in love with. And to you, it was like, to, to you, Ryan, you saw this as a moment of, in the middle of Texans history, where it's like, this is absolutely league changing. Why would we ever break this apart? To me, it was the beginning of the Texans history for me. And the idea of breaking it apart is shocking to me, but it's also something I've kind of always been prepared for because it was the first it was the first thing I associated with the Texans. And to me, like the first thing I associated with the Texans, I know it's not gonna last forever. So I knew that the breakup of the Hopkins, Fuller, Watson thing was going to happen eventually. It happened sooner than I expected, and I don't like it, but it was something that I had prepared myself for, you know, I don't know, over a year ago at this point, because it was something that I that I entered my fanship with. And I knew it wasn't going to last. It's almost like childhood. Like, you know, childhood, like when you're six, seven or eight years old, you know, you're not going to be a kid forever. And there's a moment when you're a kid where you're like, I'm just going to enjoy being a kid right now. And like, you know, eating ice cream every day and playing video games every day and not doing my homework and not having to worry about it. Like there's a moment in childhood where you know it's not that it's going to end, but you're going to enjoy it anyways. And that was the Hopkins Fuller Watson combo for me. Well the the one thing I want to add just before this clip starts is I I'm sure Carlos can agree with it is Hunter Johnson never had that counterpart. Maybe if you want to say Arian Foster was, but that's a different position. That was Yeah. I'd frankly say that was the best running back the Texans ever had by a mile. But yep. it wasn't the same kind of counterpart of Andre Johnson is a great all-around wide receiver. There wasn't a, a guy that was like a burner that could be like, okay, Andre Johnson will catch anything thrown at him ever and probably take five more yards down the field if, if you need to or 10 yards or whatever it is, depending on the, the situation. But there wasn't a counterpart. So like there's a little fuller. Who's literally, who's literally the the and the opposite of DeAndre Hopkins? Hopkins literally catches everything that's thrown at him, and he'll try to catch a few more yards after that. But literally, he's the best possession receiver that is in the league right now. And Will Fuller is the guy that you throw it thirty yards down the field, he'll catch it, make this miraculous catch. He'll get you every big chunk that you could ask for. So it's just it's weird to think that like you got the guy you wanted. And you're going to break that up now. Going to the clip now, you have your week 12 Texans against the Titans. What you got here? So I'll preface this with this was an inflection point in my personal history with the Texans. Because at this point, I really liked the Texans. I was infatuated with their 0-3 start. And now you can see right here, they're 7-3 and now. They're 7-3. and and they're going against a five and five 
Titans team that is hanging around and is a tough out in every game. So this is a massive game for each team. This is a this is a season defining game for each team. And I like the Texans too. I like Derrick Henry. I I I love the Titans when they when Mariota threw the touchdown pass to himself in the wild card game against the Chiefs right. and they they punched Brady in the mouth and it took him till the third quarter to beat them in the 2017 playoffs. I wanted the Titans to win that game so bad because I hated the Patriots because I'm a Steeler fan. You know, like at the beginning, I'm a Steeler fan, which means I hate the Patriots, which means when the Titans are beating the Patriots, I just like the, I just like the Titans. Like I just like the Titans because they're beating the Patriots. Um, and then 2018, I was like, Mariota looked pretty good in 2016, 2017. I liked Derrick Henry. I loved I loved Corey Davis in 2017. I loved him. And I was like, the Titans are a good coach away and Mariota taking that leap from becoming a playoff or even Super Bowl caliber team. And I thought Mike Vrabel was the coach to do it. I really did. I thought Mike Vrabel was the coach to bring Mariota and Corey Davis. I even remember texting my friend about it in like March when like the Kirk Cousins like sweepstakes was happening. I remember texting him and saying like Mike Vrabel is going to be the coach to bring Mariota and Corey Davis to the next level. And they are going to be like nine and seven, but they're going to be in the AFC championship game. And we're all going to be wondering how the tech, how the Titans got here. But I, like I said, I like the Texans too. So I had kind of a conflict here, but this, so mm-hmm. I came into this game really conflicted on who I wanted to win. And ultimately, I came down to I want to see Mariota become a better quarterback. So I want to see Mariota throw for like 400 yards and three touchdowns against the Texans right now and establish okay, so himself as a top-tier let, quarterback. Let's roll this clip, and then uh, when we get past the 5 o'clock hour, let's touch back on what we're actually doing this, this uh, pod apocalypse for. Okay. Uh, yes. So let's, let, let's, uh, let's hit this clip here now. Okay. So is that uh who is that? Oh oh my it it gets me excited even now. Oh, was that Lamar Miller? Oh oh Oh, we gotta go back. 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 Okay. Watch this cut. Watch it. Yes, that. Woo! Wow. Oh, I remember this. What what is what is it like to have a running back that knows how to make a cut? (laughs) What 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 a world this is. That play was the moment I became a full fledged bleeding red Houston Texans fan. That was the moment. That was the moment. Like, I don't care what happens with Mariota. I don't care. I don't care about Mariota anymore. That was the moment was like, this is it. This is Texans are the team. This is it. I don't, who cares about Mariota? Who cares about Corey Davis? Who cares? Vrabel doesn't matter. He was on the Texans last year. He should have stayed this year because did you see what just, did you see what Lamar Miller just did? Right. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's the thing is, uh, I don't know if maybe hit same for me, maybe you, uh, Carlos and I is that the te- Titans have been a terrorizing team for the car- the the Texans for a very long time. Like it's been 
I don't know if it's uh, it obviously doesn't translate necessarily to the players because there's no necessarily uh, history with the players. But at the same time, it's like every time they play tight, it just feels like it's like just twisting the knife a little deeper every time because every game just doesn't feel like it's every out of reach. Like the Jaguars, it feels like it's always up and down and it can be depending on how the team is. But with the, the Titans, it feels like, man, every time. It's, every it's, a, it's a strong relationship between the two teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I don't know if any either of you gentlemen have the Twitch controls or at least able to put the comments up that uh, that uh, we have been in the past year about where we're donating to for this cause. Um, I will. I will post the links to the three found the three organizations that we are focusing on for this twenty-five hour stream. So. Um, I can recite off the top of my head here. We are uh, also doing the JJ Watt Foundation. Um, the JJ Watt Foundation is great. Uh, I, I, like I said, before, my family's from Wisconsin, so I've always been a big JJ Watt fan. Uh, jumping in, and they've uh, they've been a, they've been a big supporter and always been a great organization. And the Deshaun Watson Foundation, as well as Cancer Research dot org uh we're not trying to get anything where we're trying to keep stats of what what our organization is donating to these organizations we just want to make sure we help people out um by all means here so if any can help out uh, that's why we're doing 25 hours of podcasting to do what we can to help donate whatever you can every dollar counts you know the money that would go to breakfast this morning put it towards research and helping people and um i mean still get breakfast but you know you know what i'm saying and it's also very highly rated the uh, cancer research institute charity so you send your money there you know it's going to be used the right way not just for overhead expenses or whatever but most of your money if not all of it's going to actually help and do the research that you want it and need it to do so Good morning, Scott. He's back. Look at him. Morning, Jets. Hello. Hey. I, imagine, I imagine he had a nice sleep. Did he have a good? Did he have a good rest? Yeah. Period? Did you sleep, Scott? Did you take oh, a yeah. nap? Yep. Yep. Nice. Nice. So what we sleep been... in on a Saturday, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> so what we've gone through is we've been going through basically fanship, and and Ryan has been going through his. Uh, fanship with the Texans where his fanship is rooted in their inception and there are many ebbs and flows throughout his lifetime and I am currently going through my very contemporary uh, fanship with the Texans where I started my first strong emotion with the with the Texans is their Seahawks game in 2017 and we yeah, are going what, from there. What you're missing is also the like what two hours of us playing Jeopardy while also oh, yeah. drunk Jeopardy. Game. Yeah. I got I got murdered, Scott. I was ah. 
I was a different human being at like 4:30 a.m. and I'm still I'm still I'm still a little bit woozy. I can't look left or right without getting myself a little dizzy. And like the stuff I was talking we were talking about 10 minutes ago feels like it happened like when I was like in elementary school. Like my concept of my concept of time is still a little bit upside down and paradoxical. <laughs> this uh, yeah. this bottle was full when this uh, episode started. So it looks like uh, is that a single malt scotch there? Yes, it's a uh, it's a blended blended uh, oh. uh, scotch from uh, Scotland. It's pretty pretty middle of the pack, but uh, uh, Monkey Shoulder I really recommend just kind of having it around as kind of a uh, uh, kind of a uh, do it all kind of player. Yeah. <laughs> do yeah. it all kind of player. He's he's tough, strong, and dependable. He's an STD. Hey, there you go. That, that's the thing. That's the thing with the Texans. I mean, if you're not that, then why bother? What are you? <laughs> right. So the, the the yeah. So the the monkey shoulder I would recommend if you're looking for something that's. Uh, not I'm gonna write that any, down. And any, any direction that you're really looking for, like super super uh, aisle or something like that it's 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 very good uh, blended scotch and then i think i saw in the headlines they are actually lifting some of the tariffs now so some of that uh, scotch uh, the prices of scotch lately have been kind of high but now they should start dropping hopefully if the tariffs lift in that so good news on that front if you like your scotch nice nice and uh i've been uh, i've been a little more on the bar, uh, balcony side uh trying to do kind of uh adventure in the texan side of things but uh i need to get back in scot more scotch Mm-hmm. Yeah, good deal. So now, what uh, you're adventuring in now is uh, we're going through clips of uh, Texans highlights and excellent, uh, excellent. potentially some lowlights as well. Cool. <laughs> but this is the, this is the second to last clip I have. I have one more clip. It's again, it's only like five seconds long. This was the I'll play it for Scott since he just came on. It's the absolutely electric life-changing fourth down stop for the titans i remember this and then and then the straight out of hollywood life-changing 97 yard run by lamar miller well as impressive as that was you know the one time's like well yeah, that's what Lamar did, Miller did to us in that South Beach slaughter in uh, 2015. <laughs> and he busted out here, but I think the danger was now he makes like the longest play in Texan history. And suddenly the coach at that time, I believe we know, is one Mr. Uh, Bill O'Brien. is like, that's how I'm going to get my big plays now. So if you're worried like the whole – if there was ever a point where the chum – was going to be locked into the playbook. It wasn't because he just obsessively loves the run, which I guess he does. Uh, but he was always trying for the big play, and that was the biggest play in Texan history. So all the runs up the middle, just trying to replicate that. <laughs> that that right. chum. That was the moment that the chum became, you know, the, the word. Chum broke. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was basically saying, like, right when you came on, Scott, was I, w- I was basically describing I came into that game conflicted about who I liked because at that moment I had really liked the the Texans because of their players and because of their overtime game against the Cowboys where they proved to me that they are a legitimately dangerous team 
that deserves my attention forever. Um, but I had liked the Titans because I had convinced myself over the 2017 season, with especially with the Mariota touchdown to himself against Kansas City and that comeback win in the wild card. I had convinced myself that Mariota is a good coach away from becoming a great quarterback, that Corey Davis is the next Julio Jones, and that both Corey Davis and Mariota are going to become Pro Bowl caliber players in 2018 with Mike Vrabel. I had convinced myself that in the 2018, in the 2017 offseason. So like early, you know, spring, summer 2018. Um, so I came into that Titans versus Texans game conflicted because I liked both teams. But that Lamar Miller run was the moment where I was like, the Texans absolutely are the better team. They are going on this eight game winning streak. They are wildly more entertaining. I already love Deshaun Watson, Will Fuller, and DeAndre Hopkins. And I don't even care about Mariota anymore because these guys <laughs> are everything I could ever want Mariota to be. They are Deshaun Watson is everything I want Mariota to be. Julio Jones or Will Fuller is everything I want Corey Davis to be. DeAndre Hopkins is everything I want Corey Davis to be. Why would I waste my time on the Titans when the Texans are already here? And that was the moment where I became a bona fide full-time Texans fan. And it didn't matter, you know, what I thought of other teams. The Texans were, the Texans were on my brain. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not a bad road to Damascus moment. Um, of course, being any sort of, you know, fan of a pro team in Houston, you're going to learn very quickly for all the glory and all the fun highlights. There's <laughs> Just as much disappointment and gut wrenching. It's, I mean, pick your pick your franchise in Houston pro sports history, and for whatever success you'll find, you'll probably find about as much, if not more, uh, heartbreak, disappointment, <laughs> Su- suffering. Suffering is always due. It's always due. Yeah. And, but that for any pro franchise in Houston, I mean, that that's just the inevitability. Um, I, I don't know if, like, at some point, Sam Houston before the Battle of San Jacinto kicked over like an Indian grave or whatever and unleashed this curse that is now damning um, Houston pro teams in, you know, ever since they've been around. I, I'm not sure, but, uh, yeah, just, just take your pick. I mean, even the, the big three now, you know, the Texans, the suicidal self-implosion of what they did for no reason. I mean – you know, their all-in bet was as bad an all-in bet as you can make, and now they're paying their due, and it ain't, it ain't good. Uh, Rockets are caught in a rebuild, and then, you know, the Astros are still kind of dealing with the fallout of what happened with 2017-2018, and it, it's still kind of just hanging over them. So just what you have right now, it, it can make it kind of tough to be a, a Houston pro fan. Exactly. So well, well, welcome to the welcome to the fraternity. <laughs> so this is this is uh, was it, go ahead go ahead j- uh, was it simply just being a houstonian uh to be become a texans fan or was there anything particularly got you started on that that was kind of what our discussion well i grew up south of houston so you know geography kind of lent me towards uh the houston teams that you know maybe dating myself right. here a little bit but i was there during uh the last wave of the the oilers great run where Again, talk about heartbreak and disappointment, seven straight playoff bids and not a single run to the AFC title game, even given 
all the talent they had on that team. Warren Moon quarterbacking, you know, Munchek and right. Bruce Matthews on the O-line, Ernest Givens uh, in the d- defense, you know, Ray Childress, Gary Walker, Sean Jones. Uh, they just had – usually they were sending, like, multiple guys to the Pro Bowl every year at that stretch, but yet they found not only a way not to get the division title, but they were so creative in doing it. I mean, the I, I remember, like, the – the second drive where Elway goes 80 yards or so on the Texans, no timeout, two minutes left. And the next year playoff game, it was like, we're going to make sure we find a way to forget what happened. Of course, that was when they went into Buffalo and, you know, the wild card uh, catastrophe, which basically ended Houston, the Oilers, as we knew them. Um, so I was always kind of had that trend with it. And then where the Texans came in, I, you know, I enjoyed watching that first game where they beat the Cowboys and, David Carr showed off right. that arm. I think he had one throw that it was just like a like he would just lightly throw a ball or something, but he put that like a 70-yard laser and overthrew the receiver. I think it was Jermaine Lewis, but uh, check the highlight. He like overthrew him in the end zone, and that was like 60 yards down the field. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, maybe the Texans will do something, but I kind of needed them to beat the old Oilers first before I could be like, okay, y'all, y'all are legit. Of course, they took two full years before they got their first win over – the ex-Oilers, Tennessee Titans, and then once they did, it was like, okay, I'm in. But, you know, Texans have followed the usual Houston pro sporting route, whatever moments of glory they had. They had just as many creative ways to to lose or, you know, found a way to be entertaining and still disappointing at the same time. Um, so yeah, much – Not to have the old head conversation here, but when do you what, do you wonder what may have happened if the Texans don't win that first game against the Cowboys? Like, what, where that, where that, do, do, do people jump on the bandwagon so quickly of uh, of forgetting the Oilers uh, so quickly? And I feel like the city really embraced them so quickly out of out of that loss uh, that win over the Cowboys. Well, I think the other thing too is like you know in Texas you kind of have the holy trinity of you know family, faith, and football. And what order that is kind of depends on what day of the week and what time of the day of the week it is. Uh, And given, you know, how the Oilers left Houston and, you know, Bud Adams was trying to play the city for more money. And, you know, we we have our own names for him, obviously. But I I think Houston was kind of starved for a pro franchise. And they've been so apathetic about the Oilers. It's like when they left, like, you know, after all the disappointing playoffs and how Bud Adams was treating things and what the team was doing, you're like, Okay, don't let the door hit you on the way out. Um, but I think when you, they brought a team in, it mostly because L.A. was so incompetent. I mean, the NFL was giving Los Angeles all the breaks. It's like, come on, you're the second largest media market in the nation. We want at least a football team there because they'd been without football at that point. Uh, I think 95, you had both of the franchises at the time leave Los Angeles right. and they're barren. Not that L.A. I think cared that much because then it was like, oh, good. We can watch the good games, not worry about if our team is, you know, 5-11. and 11. And having to watch their snooze fest. So McNair comes in, brings in the team for Houston. We get it. It's like, okay, we got we got foot, pro football back in Houston. And you're in Texas. You're going to watch any sort of football. Right. And obviously when the Cowboys won, that was huge for them. It was kind of like the running joke. They can go 1-15, but that one better be against the Cowboys. Well, they got the Cowboys. And right. I, I think that generated a lot of excitement. But – 
I feel like even if they had lost that game to the Cowboys, like even if it had been like a 31 to three blowout, people would have been disappointed. But I think because football was back and particularly right. after they came back from what, you know, the travesty of Bud Adams and his dealings and double secret dealings, I think people still would have enjoyed it, but it definitely helped when the team beat the Cowboys. You kind of saw what turned out to be sort of a false dawn, but you were like, we, we, we got something here. I, I don't disagree with you. I think I think at the same time, I think I think it was one of those weird things where I think tech, you're right, right on the nail on the head with Texas football. Is that I think if that, that it's like a high school and college mentality where if you win that one game, that's all that mattered for that first season. Like if you that 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 no matter what the record the rest of the season was, you got the win over the Cowboys. That mm. that kind of lingered of that that. that Oh, this season was success because we 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 we're still we're we're here again and we beat the Cowboys. Yep. But no. Uh, who's who's controlling the video here now? I am. I have. This is the final. This is the final act of my Houston Texans fandom. And then so, I have your uh, I have your clips, Ryan, of the ones he asked for. Oh yeah, Thanks, sir. yeah. But this this is this is the final one. Is that? Let me let me set the scene. So at this point, we have gone through uh, my Texans versus Seahawks in 2018 or 2017, where I became a Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller fan. Uh, And then in 2018, when they beat the Cowboys, I became very interested in the Texans. And then in the Titans versus Texans game in 2018, I became a full-blown Texans fan, so much to the point that they completely destroyed destroyed my excitement for what Marcus Mariota or Corey Davis could be. I completely lost interest after that 2018 game. And in 2019, I was a full-blown Texas fan, or Texans fan, and I was watching every single game and getting as much out of it as I could. I remember watching that Monday night football, like that 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 first Monday night football game of the 2019 season. It was the Texans at the New Orleans Saints. And um, the Texans had come off an 11-5 season where they lost to the Colts. And they were going against, and I had just come home from my, from my eight to nine, or what, what was it? It was like seven to 850 or no, it was six to eight fifty uh, class in my master's program for education, and I was coming, and I was on the metro in DC, and I was watching the uh, the 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 Texans versus New Orleans uh, Monday Night Football game, and I was hoping to God that the Texans were going to win that game because I knew it was a big ga- big game for their playoff chances, and I knew it was a big game for both teams. So I was like. Please just let the Texans win because that's a massive game for both of these teams. And if Texans can establish themselves as the premier team of the NFL by beating the New Orleans right now on the national field, on the national stage, I would be so happy. Of course, they didn't. They got really close. And Deshaun Watson, Will Fuller, and DeAndre Hopkins made tons of amazing plays in that game that I still watch. I still watch them like probably once a once every couple weeks. I go back to that game to watch those Will Fuller catches. Probably, like I love that game. I love it. I just wish it had a better ending. But I watched every single game of that season, and by far my favorite is this one. And this is the best play of this game. 
right after this. I think this is it. I think this is it. Yep, it's it. This is it. Oh, yeah. Woo! Oh! Oh, baby! He makes it look so easy. Oh, my <laughs> God. He makes it look so easy. Oh. And this was right after, like, because, like, right before this, Will Fuller made this pretty much the same exact play. Um, and they called it back for like holding or whatever, and then and then Deshaun Watson likes okay okay you don't want to give me that play okay I'll just do it again I'll just do it again I'll just do the exact same thing and I'll get and I'll get the touchdown with Kenny Stills who had just come to the Texans in that big Laramie Tunstall trade so this was like justification is like okay the trade worked like this is all you need this is all you need to say the trade worked you just you just threw an amazing touchdown. On a ten and one Super Bowl champion New England Patriots team, you just did this. This the trade. The trade was worth it. I don't care. The trade was worth it. <laughs> um, but this was the play. This was the moment where I was like, I am never in my life going to not like the Houston Texans. This was the moment <laughs> where, where the rest of my life in liking football, it will always be tied to the Texans. And, and, Be careful and, what you wish for. <laughs> well, what's Ooh. funny is that I was talking earlier about how it first started with a hatred of New England because, like I said, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I'm a Pit, I'm a Steelers fan, so obviously I'm going to have a hatred with New England. So part of my me liking the Texans is rooted in not liking the Patriots. So we go from the Texans being the Seahawks who were a great defense, like the Patriots, they beat them, to beating the Cowboys, who I also hate because they beat the Steelers in a Super Bowl, um, and then uh, to beating the Titans, who I liked, but the Texans proved they were better and absolutely worth my attention and and worth my worth me liking, to now we're at... We're, we've come full circle. They're beating the Patriots in the most absolutely pleasing way I could ever imagine throwing a 50-yard touchdown pass to Kenny Stills that you traded for and you just made some New England player look like an idiot um, in front of on Sunday night football in front of the entire country like it's it's like I can never I can I can never not think of the Texans now when I think of football because that was the moment it's like these these guys have done everything that I could ever wish for in football. And they, they've they earned my trust. They've earned my love. I love their players. I love the team. They've showed me that they continue, that they can continue giving me reasons to love them. And there's no reason not to trust them now, even in the darkest of times. Like those <laughs> moments were so, those moments were so bright that I can't, I can't give up on them now. That they They were so good. They they earned everything that I have, and I'm willing to give them more, even even if it means a two and fourteen season. I I I'll, I'll do it. I'll I'll take I'll I'll turn the other cheek for them, because that was so good that I'll I'll take the hits. What about Owen yeah. sixteen? <laughs> okay, now we're talking a different story. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, but it's just. It's I love the Texans and and 
I, I know there's probably a lot of fans that will probably be suspicious of me because I'm a new fan, but those were the moments that led to me absolutely falling in love with them. And it's going to take a lot more than trading to Sean Watson to make me question it because I, I'm in for this relationship. I'm in for the long haul, baby. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. You got to do a lot more than getting rid of Deshaun Watson to scare me away. Yeah, that's you know, I'm ready every for the pain. <laughs> well, then you're a true Texans fan at heart. Um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it's. I, I think, and every team's going to have their ebb and flows. I mean, even New England kind of saw for the first time life on the other side this season. Although, yeah, I got rid of Brady, but then you saw like a lot of their key defensive guys opt out too due to COVID. It was probably inevitable that they would have some uh, decline. And there's been other darker periods in Houston football history. Like the early 70s was a void of nothingness for Houston pro franchise. Early 80s, they were pretty bad in the aftermath of the Love You Blue days. And the Texans have had their their hiccups. It just, I think 2021 is going to shape up as a lost season. Very early prognosis here. But, um, you know, whether they go in 16, I don't know. Although I feel like because, you know, Detroit did it, you know, like 10 years ago and Cleveland did it just a few seasons ago, the the allure of an 0-16 season just isn't quite there. You know, it's been done, and it's been done fairly recently. So I don't know if we get any special designation other than high draft picks and the reality that they're just the worst team in the league. Uh, so I'd be curious to see how they do that, you know, and can they set themselves up so that if there's a competence bug that bites them for 2022, when in theory they should have a lot more cap space they can clear off, they should have higher draft picks, if they have traded Watson, they should have also a lot of ammo to draft, in theory, talented personnel and replacements to get back onto the path they should have been with Watson. Um, I just have to see. But, yeah, it's, you know, they're still the ride and die for uh, football purposes, but they can make it pretty hard, too. Yeah, and I'll, I'll end this segment. Uh, with one final thought, and then we should get to Ryan's clips that he requested because he's probably been waiting for him for almost an hour now. So, because oh, I've been just, fine. I've been, I've been going off on this, but a lot of Texans fans are going to ask, like, well, I fell in love with the Texans during the Deshaun Watson era. Where's my fanhood going to go now that Deshaun Watson is probably going to be gone? Am I going to follow him to the Jets or the Dolphins? And of course not. Of course I'm not going to because I fell in love with the Texans through Deshaun Watson. I did not fall in love with Deshaun Watson through the Texans. I fell in love with what Deshaun Watson played for and what he wore and what it meant to see him and for that specific team and how that team worked itself around all of its headaches and nightmares to win a division in 2018 and 2019. Um, like, I fell in love with the concept of those paths towards success that the Texans went through in 2018 and 19. I did not go, I did not use Texans as a conduit to like Deshaun Watson. I used the player Deshaun Watson to eventually fall in love in a very complicated way 
with the entire organization with the Texans. So it's it's going to take me it's going to take a whole lot for me to give that up. Very much more, much more than Deshaun Watson leaving. Now, if you don't believe me, then you can use these next couple of years as a litmus test for me. If I all of a sudden abandon the Texans in 2021 and 2022, then you can call my bluff and say that I was actually in it for Deshaun Watson because he'll be gone in 2022 at least, and the Texans will suck. But I don't plan on that. I plan on sticking around, and I am very excited for whatever the future entails. Yep. Beautiful. Alrighty, I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen, get these clips for Ryan up here, and uh, see what yeah, it's all about. Unfortunately, I don't have control of sending clips, so. No, I got it. I got it. Okay. I will hit play. This is, this my is first, Andre Johnson. This, mm-hmm. this is my first game uh, at, at NRG Stadium, Reliance Stadium at the time. It may not seem like Ooh! a big but it may not seem like a big clip, but it was the first first time I was at the game, and, and it was, is that Cal? Uh, yep, that's yep. that's the McNairs. <laughs> Look at his. <laughs> Go back to that touchdown catch, though. We got to see that catch. Oh, and what did that look like it? in the stands? I don't think I don't think this is his first catch, but that's that's fine. It's still great. But uh, that's Schaub at quarterback. It was been in car at quarterback. Man, but that's still, I mean that's still awesome. Man, this makes it look route. so routine. Oh, it's man. like it's like he's Why running a few routes in the park. La 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 la. Just completely faking him on the in route, and then just, <laughs> oh, man. Gone. So it's over. Was that? Yeah, he took the was it the corner and the linebacker both went that way. Just and he nice little uh, ran it in, then cut it out, and pitch and catch is uh, pretty as you please. Oh, yeah. Man, is is there not a quarterback uh, uh, named Matt Schaub? It isn't like the biggest like cock tease ever of like. Here's your ceiling occasionally. It's so high. The ceiling is so high and so low at the same time. And it's that 2010 season in particular, I remember that being particularly painful. Like, you know, they just come off the first winning. This one, Ryan. This one, right? Ah, we're going old school here. This is this is the first one. The 2010 team. Uh, it should have been whatever his rookie season was. Yes, two thousand. This would have been his rookie season. Yep, this is it. There we go. Okay. Yep. Because it should have been. A... Let's see. You said you were here for this one. Oh, I oh, for, oh! Yep, that was the that was his first. I was that was our first game ever at the stadium. Oh my uh, god! We got some free tickets or whatever, and that was that was, I think maybe only like the one of like three times I've been in the stadium as a fan. What a play! Beautiful. Is that a Rick Dennison offense? Step back, yep. wide open. Deep <laughs> bring, bring that all Woo! back to. <laughs> wow! Yeah, just, uh, ooh. 
Carlos kicked our butt with trivia while you were asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Learned it all on the fly. So, okay. so you were <laughs> your peak, like your attending Texans fandom was defined by Shop and Andre Johnson. For me, okay, Carlos. For I think I found Ryan. The oh. One clip I was trying to send you here. Hmm. Or the you the one you... that I was talking about, you can find. Mm-hmm. Oh, there, yeah, no, play that one, yeah, for sure. Okay, okay, okay. Do that one. Yes. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> Break yourself, fool. <laughs> All right, here we go. We got some pushing, shoving. The foreplay. Yep. About to get your butt kicked by a Hall of Famer. <laughs> and he claps like he ate it. Ugh. <laughs> and, and Andre Johnson uh, yeah, really Charmous. never emoted like that on the field. So you know, you know, something had to happen to to get him going like that. Ah, uh, yes, Jeez, you, got, you got you got Andre Johnson ejected while you're losing seventeen to zero with eight minutes left in the game. Mm-hmm. You win, guy. You win. <laughs> Uh, Jeff Fisher. <laughs> Mr. Eight and eight. Seven mm-hmm. and nine, sir. Seven and nine. You were still on the night <laughs> this time, man. He's still living off of that magical run he had in 99, and I guess mm-hmm. they did make the AFC title game in, was it 02, I think, when the Raiders yeah, They made the AFC title like in 07, yeah, too, didn't so. they? Or like 06? Like they had like a moment there with like Vitz Young or someone or CJ. I think I think that was against the Raiders. So I can't off the top of my head. I want to say that was maybe o two o three on the calendar oh, year. Okay. I'm sure. Here we go. The, full... the Tennessee fan will chime in. It's like, no, it's this year, idiot. So you know. I can't. Brown goes yanking, in again. Brown goes yanking, in again. He's yanking on his face mask, trying to get off. Can't even do that. And he punched punched Andre in the face with the face mask still on. Like how smart that is are you, such buddy? A... <laughs> what in the world? Well, Johnson got the TKO there, so. Wasn't that pushing the head-butted somebody with a helmet on? Yes. So, so what is the what is this, like, moment? You got your, you got your you, butt Ryan. whooped and you punched somebody in a face mask. <laughs> <laughs> and you got fined. So, I mean, you just lost. There was a triple crown of losses there for Inigan. They got suspended, didn't they, as well? And I th- and, yeah, any fight, like, I, I don't remember how long, but. And I'm fairly mm-hmm. fairly certain he didn't have a, much of a career after that. Either. No, 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 he did it all, not at all. Oh, um, is... context before we start this clip, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I I've told these guys here already. My dad is a huge Washington fan. He grew up in D.C. He's always been a Washington fan. Uh, the extent of our conversation after this game was, all I did was call him and say, Andre motherfucking Johnson hung the phone up. <laughs> nice. Beautiful. Okay. So nice. roll roll the clip. <laughs> oh. Oh. Boom. <laughs> oh the, 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 the spike the spike in that photo is uh, this video doesn't do it justice, but the, the photo that got captured of him spiking the ball off. Oh, it's legendary. Down, 
is so amazing. <laughs> like I want to have that as blown up on my wall somewhere just because it's one of the most powerful spikes I've ever seen. I remember watching the watching this game. I was overseas at the point and uh, seeing that come in on oh streaming service. God. That was that was, and of course that was again the the all you know prior to recent, but that was like the ultimate tease season. You know, twenty ten. Oh yeah, Texans make their first winning season. Now they've got this offense on you know the offense is humming under Kubiak. Of course, we didn't you know the defense we thought would be mediocre, and they underachieved even for that that's what killed them there but yeah I, I just remember that game in particular you know that that was like the Texans got this no they don't but yeah Carlos has got it right on the photo though that's that's the photo that's the, oh that's yeah the one right. that's the one that that's oh, a mom. like a fan graphs thing you just blow that sucker up put it up on your wall in your man cave and you're like you're good yeah that's <laughs> think it'd be any less pixelated yeah, and so the best part is my dad could tell me all about that defensive back that's crying in the corner there. Like he would know exactly <laughs> who that is and uh, everything about him. And it wouldn't uh, matter. So any uh, other requests, Ryan? Did you have the one I just sent you the link of? Oh, let me see. It was the, um, the, this is the this is the super OG. Okay. Two thousand David Garrard. That's literally the, the this is the first Texan highlight outside of the outside of the uh, the Cowboys game. Oh, this is uh you can skip. I think you can skip probably to like the last minute of it. Okay. Like about here. A little Two bit seconds left. That. A little bit further than that. Oh, yeah, there you go. Oh. Go there. They go for the, the Texans go for the win. How could you ever expect that Don Capers team go for the win here with a minute <laughs> with, with one play left? How could this man ever do this? But here's David Carr diving over the end zone. Well, he got way over too. There you go. Ah, uh, uh, happier time. Probably yep. the highest. Oh, high uh, Byron, Byron left 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 Oh my god! Oh, wow, that, that's wow. old school. Holy moly! And Andre Johnson is Fred still Taylor? having a hundred-yard game here. I, I have to say this, this might have been David Carr's high watermark as a Texan. Yeah, before the, <laughs> had a good game. the beatings and the sackings just broke him. I mean, any any further proof that you need to make sure you at least have a competent offensive line with a quarterback right. or a prospect? Carr is the is the case study for it. I mean, I I felt like he could have been we've ever lived up truly to the number one billing, don't know, but the Texans did him no favors whatsoever by letting him get shell shocked and beat up. I think so. what it is is I think you're absolutely right, is I think his brother has basically shown that that at least that family competent quarterbacks is probably the bar and the fact that the Texans didn't have an offensive line really hurt that so dramatically that you never even can reach competent. And it's, what does it say? Like most people still view during that time frame, the best lineman the Texans had on the roster was Tony Baselli, even though he was kind of sent over when we got in the expansion draft and, you know, we got a couple of defenders, but he was kind of like the throwaway. And in theory, you're like, Oh, you got Baselli right. on the left tackle. Even if he wasn't what he once was, uh, Jackson in Jacksonville's peak, that point under Coughlin, you're like, oh, that's still be good. Yeah, it never right. suits up. And right, you know, Carr is just 
you know, becomes shell shocked uh, with all the beatings he took, and you know that that just kind of did him in. Although, I think he was on the Giants one during one of the Super Bowls, so I think he did get a ring with him, if I remember right. I don't remember if it's 08 or eleven. He was, I thought he was on one of their teams that beat the Patriots just as a backup, but I thought he was on one of them. Someone can check that. I'm trying to check it up right now here while you're pulling it up. Is there any clips you want to have, pull up here at the moment? Uh, no, the clips you've had so far, you know, they lighten, you know, heartwarming things to see of uh, happier times. So, Ryan, I have a question so, for uh, Tony you. Tony Maselli uh, never actually played football after 2020, 2002. Yeah. He, uh, let's see if we actually have anything here. No, I think under- Rivers mentioned once a touching a touching highlight that was ruined by a fan in a Tony Baselli jersey. He never <laughs> oh, he, he, he never actually played a game for the Texans. Yep, I, I think I remember that. He won the world. But, so, um, so he he uh, concussions did him in. I have I have a broad question for Ryan, but before I do that, I just want. To I alert think, uh, Terry, Joe, Joe's I, gone into the dimension or something. There, can you can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Okay, okay, but I don't know if you could see my window. Is that it's light out now? So, uh... does it sound weird to anybody else? <laughs> it sounds uh... super slow to me. It's it's. It's it's light. It's like full daytime oh, now. Yeah, I can yeah. see the whole way okay. across my yard into the hillside. I can. It's day. I have been up all night. Uh, I've officially pulled an all nighter. Um, <laughs> I I am about like I'd say like ten percent drunk right now. We got drunk. I drank a lot of Crown. Um, oh, your weapon uh, of choice. Good call. <laughs> But that was uh, that was like at like three to four. I drank that and I got really drunk and I am mostly undrunk now. It's full daytime now, um, <laughs> but I think Ryan was having some de- technical difficulties. I'm going to ask him a question once he comes back. Yeah, been off for almost ten hours straight. There yeah, Carlos, go, is, Carlo, Carlos is the real trooper here. Oh, He's I'm been... leaving as soon as Matt shows up. I'm leaving. <laughs> it's going to be high five. There you go. <laughs> exactly. You're punching the clock I... out. Morning, Fred. Morning, Ralph. <laughs> I, got, I, got, <laughs> I got about 20 minutes to 7 a.m., and then I am leaping on the bed, which is right over there, and I am zonking. Oh, yeah. um, and but... I think we'll use the moment. Let's do the, you know, kind of a. Razon Detre for our podcast, other than just discussing the yes. ups and downs of Texas fandom. Um, you know, it's definitely been tough times for folks. So uh, I think for those of you that have been listening in or will listen in, uh, we're encouraging you to, you know, give what you can, help out some charities. So particular Cancer Research Institute, uh, obviously doing a lot of great work. And, you know, COVID has been dominating the headlines and rightfully so. But just because COVID's been there doesn't mean cancer's gone away. So I, I'm pretty sure all of us on this podcast who have spoken before and after have had someone they know and love impacted by cancer one way or another. So Cancer Research, cancer research Institute, one of those entities on the front lines trying to find the research, trying to find a way for these cures. Uh, a very highly rated charity. You know, Charity Navigator gives them four stars. Um, if you're going to donate money to them, you know pretty much most of that money is going to go to where it needs to go, not just for overhead costs, but they're going to help you know for the research and do those things on the front lines. And then 
being the Texans fans we are, we also encourage you to donate to, uh, you know, J.J. Watt Foundation. Yes, he's no longer wearing the battle red, but, you know, he'll go down arguably as the GOAT for the Texans and all the great stuff he's done. So, you know, give a little to him if you can. Keep the good work going. And then also Deshaun Watson's foundation, too. You know, how much longer he still wears the battle red to be determined, but he's done a lot of good things for Houston as well. And let's, uh, let's keep it going for charity. So. So I have one final open-ended question for you, Ryan, which relates to your clips about Andre Johnson and Matt Schaub. And, mm-hmm. and obviously you're like, you have a deep rooted affinity for those moments with Andre Johnson, which yep. frequently came in peaks with Matt Schaub. So this is kind of a two parted question. One, was there ever a moment or a year where you um, thought that the Matt Schaub, Andre Johnson led Texans had a legitimate shot at a Super Bowl or some sort of deep playoff run that was worth that was worth something significant? Um, or two, what was your feelings after you know that year, be it 2012 or some other moment? Um, that it amounted to nothing. Like, how was um, your fanhood changed by those moments? Um, and you guys can correct me. Is it 2012 that Albert Haynes were step on year? The, uh, the 2011, but yeah, that 2011. was right during arguably the best two year stretch the team had. So, 2011 is absolutely by far the absolute closest that the team has ever felt like it was. It was that job was at his peak. Um, if Albert Haynes didn't step his fat ass foot on on uh, uh, Matt Schaub, you, I think there's no reason to not think that they didn't have an equal shot at any of the best teams in the league at, at, the, at the championship. I mean, I, I don't think that's a stretch. I think there's a reason Gary Kubiak goes and wins a state uh, wins a, a Super Bowl later on in his career as a head football coach because he's a damn good football coach. And he had that team rolling the way you wanted, and you had all the offensive weapons you could ask for, and the defense you could ask for in a lot of different ways. It just simply was, you you can't have your one A quarterback go down. No team can no team can 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 overcome that. It's plain and simple. There's not there are not forty good quarterbacks in this league. There are literally probably maybe fifteen. That would probably win a kind of get get a chance to even go to the Super Bowl, let alone win one. And Matt Schaub for those for those for that period of time was one of those top ten quarterbacks. Was he one of the best? Absolutely not. But I think he was playing as well as he ever could. Uh, he had one of the best coaches that could make the most out of him by far. Uh, and if he's still on the field through that game, I have no doubt in my mind that. that the the Texans are at least playing for an AFC championship. I, I, and I don't think that's homerism. I really don't. I, I, that particular year, I think that would have been legit. I think every Texans fan would have been happy of, even if they're blown out in the AFC championship game by the Patriots or whomever that the, their team was, I think everyone would have been happy with, okay, this team showed, hey, we, we, we built up a really good roster. Or got, you got a lot of good weapons, and we got where we were supposed to be. And if the bro- breaks went our way and they went to the, the Super Bowl, then great. That's how that would have went. But I, I, I think there it's 
I don't think there's been a team that's been that, where you felt like, hey, that's on the same level again. Um, and I've never been a fan of Matt Schaub. Like that's I, I don't want to take any. I don't want to, but I don't want to take anything away from him from that year. Uh, that, that he didn't. He played really well then, and I think that was. I, I still think he was the limit for that team, but even with that limit, I think that roster and everything around him was good enough to, to do, do great things. And with him out, obviously it wasn't the same. Yeah. So how was your, what was your like love for Texas football affected by that um, falling apart? I don't Cause obviously think you had a, you had a preconceived, you had a, you had an idea, a concept that that could happen. That could absolutely happen. And this was the moment that we could get to the AFC championship at the least. And this is what at, people would be happy with. So when that time, didn't happen. At the time I was watching the football game that where he got stepped on and I knew uh, right away when it was announced, it was a Liz Frank injury that he was going to be out for the season. I was sitting in a Pluckers wing bar in Austin, Texas, with my best friend in uh, both of us at UT where we have to go to a sports bar to watch Texans football in the state of Texas. And uh, uh, it just felt like, well, that's just another chapter in being a Texans fan. Um, it didn't really change too much because, frankly, it's Matt Schaub was always the the reason that they would win or not win. Like it, it felt like Arian Foster or Andre Johnson or D'Amico Ryans or whomever was always carrying them above the, above the fold. Like that was, that was average. Those players, those, those guys were, were, were the reason that they got to this point. Uh, Matt Schaub was always the reason that they would either tilt her, tilt her over to a loss or tilt her above a win. Uh, he was the lynch, lynch of all that during that time. Um, I, I was heartbroken because there's only so many times where I kind of throw myself into fandom, um, especially now with just my job. Like I just, I can tell you right now, I don't, I don't experience football games the same way anymore. Like I don't, I don't, uh, I don't cheer. I don't really enjoy them as much. I just kind of watch and then kind of dissect them um, just because of uh my day job and in the end I could always write about the Texans if I wanted to for my newspaper. Um, so that's probably the last time that I can tell you that I really was full in on, uh, full in on the Texans. And maybe, maybe the exception would be the, uh, the, te- the, the first watt year where he returns that interception against the Bengals. Um, mm-hmm. I remember that being a big night at our household, uh, uh, where we where we would we really generally were very hyped uh, and did everything we could like almost like Super Bowl level of preparation of getting excited for a wild card game. But that's 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 not the same anymore now. Like I just I like we'll 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 get excited just because I mean my family loves sports and we watch football and then it's like my wife loves football just as much as I do. But until the Texans prove that I can get past the wild card round and, and be competitive again, like it's not, it's not going to be that same as that same feeling as that year where Albert Hanser stepped his fat ass foot on Matt shot. Mm. 
Like, I, I hate to say that that way, but like, it hasn't yeah. felt that same sense. Like, there's always been like that team felt like it, it could have gone as far as Super Bowl. Like, it genuinely did. And I don't think I felt like that, that there's been a team that, that maybe for a moment I thought the Texans could beat the Chiefs. For, for the 20 the 240 whatever the lead was but in the end I think it's part of being a Houston fan that's that creeped back into your brain always it's like it's never over until it's over like I I can tell you the the I can tell you the exact words that Robert Ford said from the Texans the, the Astro or I'm sorry the Astros won the World Series right, ground ball right side Jose Altuve has the ball and that's it the Houston Astros are the World Series champion. Like, I can remember every single word of that because I didn't believe it until it actually effing happened. Mm-hmm. The same won't happen right. until the Texans. The, the, the same feeling won't happen until the Texans actually do it. And that's not. I don't. I think that's something unique about Houston fans is that we go through so much, and, and it's not. There's no lovable loser down here. It's. It's everyone to use the fact that you're the fourth largest city in the world against you until it's until it's convenient to say oh you're a big market team you should be doing better right yep. so it's a it's 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 a harsh history in Houston and it's right. real that's that's the thing that stuck out to me is the most it's the most human out of all of the well you're a big market city so you should be doing well is that the Houston has the most harsh, real, we are actual people, and we have an actual harsh history, and it hurts to think about because it's real. Right. And, that's, and that's that's my that, – you go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's just that's the thing right now is that I I can tell you as, as a Houston fan of everything, like I'm, I am a diehard Astros fan, diehard Rockets fan, diehard Dynamo fan. I wish – to, of all things, I get a hockey team in here. Like I, I would be rooting for them as hard as I can. It's but common. I, I believe. Even, I believe it. I can. I, I can barely listen to sports right now because of everything going on. Like I can't enjoy the Astros because every single little comment on social media reminds me, oh, they cheated in 2017. The Rockets have. The Rockets are. Where are they right now? Well, they're literally a bunch of assets and draft picks. And where are the Texans right now? They're literally the only entire franchise in the NFL history that has an NFL franchise quarterback that literally has to rebuild. So yep. it's not fun to be a Houston fan. But that isn't to say uh, that we should be down on all of that. Uh, and frankly, that's why we're all here right now, is that at some level, we still enjoy it. Because so, what's What makes it hard is that you know, a couple seasons ago, Houston sports looked like they were going to enter that golden era because right. you had the Astros after Harvey. Uh, right. You okay? Twenty seventeen was a lost year for, but it was all the injuries. But what we saw of Watson, you're like, well, we get Watt back healthy, we get Mercer's back healthy. This is of course twenty seventeen, and you get Watson back at full strength, like 2018, 2019, It's like game on, and then the Rockets. You know, they had traded for Chris Paul, and I'm kind of like, we'll see how this works. It was working right. real good that season. They were right. just – it was almost boring how badly they were destroying teams. I think they had, what, like multiple double-digit win streaks that season, 18 at one point and 10 and 11. It, 
it looked like Houston was going to have that golden era where not just one team was going to win. All of them could win. Right. Until they didn't. I mean, because Houston. Um, Right. And now, you know, I I think like what you saw, say, in Tampa Bay this past season, where their big three, two win championships and one at least gets to the World Series. Right. You almost could have seen that for Houston circa 2018. And even in 2019, that was still a legit feeling. But now – and teams are going to go through their ebbs and flows. They're going to have their moments where they're good and, you know, right on the cusp or if they do win a championship and then there's a decline. It's just for the three Houston, big three Houston pro franchises, their declines just have all come at the same time. Right. Rockets, you got it. They've gone as far as they could with Harden. It just – Right, right. It, it was what it was. Uh, the Astros, you know, they're, they're going to be tainted by this whole sign-stealing thing. Of course, if you think they're the only ones that did it, I've got some beachfront property in Kansas I want to sell you. Um, but it's not like they're going to be sucky horrible. They still have some firepower to boot. They're just not going to be the dominant super team they've been the last right. few seasons. It's just with the Texans, how they got there was, of any franchise I've seen declining, it was so needlessly stupid. It's one thing, you know, some teams will go all in when their old core of veterans, like the one last hurrah, didn't get there. But, and as you're saying, like, I think I got to agree with you full on with this, Ryan. Um, I, when do you have you ever seen an NFL team with a franchise, legit franchise quarterback, have to rebuild? Right. That, and, and the number, you just look at Watson's numbers and how he did this past season. You told us that before kickoff against Kansas City this year. We'd be like, Okay, Texans are at least going to be in the hunt for something. Right. We just didn't know they were going to be in the hunt for worst team in the league. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, it's no draft capital. Yeah, with, yeah. Which was the nightmare scenario because, okay, got it when you made the trade for Tunsil, and we'll beat that dead horse ad nauseum. But um, you thought, okay, well, we'll lose the draft picks, but it'll be like late 20s. We may as well give up a second rounder anyway. Right. And maybe if we, by some way, had held on to that lead at Kansas City and hosted the first ever AFC title game in Houston, maybe we feel right. different about it. But they didn't even get to a division, you know, conference championship. And then all the, you know, the devil gets his due, and he did. And you're like, un- unbelievable. I, I th- so that that I think that I think the thing that I'm most depressed about with that whole thing is you're absolutely right. Is I think. Uh, I think we saw with the Astros that this city is so passionate about sports when it wants to be that we're still seeing every, I think I see every day, I see someone wearing some Astros stuff at some point that I never would have seen before. I remember going to college when I was at in Austin, I may have been the only person that was wearing Astros stuff. And that's not like a hipster thing. I'm saying everyone was wearing Ranger stuff. That was the thing. What I mean to say is when the Texans finally break through, and make a Super Bowl, and Lord, hopefully they win that one Super Bowl when they make it. Will this this city will lose its damn mind? Like I, I, it will not even be any compared to the Astros World Series. Like I know this is a baseball town in some ways, but man, it it feels like it's such a disservice to this city that you have gone through this this whole time and you have a franchise quarterback and you're really throwing it away against one of the biggest football towns in America. Like I go to every Friday night, I see my high 
school football life. I can't imagine what it's like every night when someone's caring about the damn Texans. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, you're just throwing this away. We're now three or four, we're going to be three or four years away from even getting close to where we are, were uh, last year. You're going to have to figure out, hey, can we get a guy that's just as good as the quarterback we had three or four years ago? Yeah, we. So, it, it's never it's never easy for Houston, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. So that's that's our that's our lot in life. You know, but, actually, now now that we're talking about it, I I remember vividly um, when the Texans were really really down on their luck. I believe it may have been like 2015, 2016, while I was at U of H, and um, the Cougs were doing really well, and so I just remember being on a whole campaign of why are people wasting their time watching, you know, the dumpster fire on Kirby when you could watch something that's great, like right in your backyard that often goes overlooked. And so like, it's, I I feel like it's similar to like the high school stuff, you know, that there's a lot of great content out there um, that happens right underneath people's noses and they don't even know about it. But then here I am watching the garbage fire. Um, with no other thing to look at, and so we're just. But stuck. hey, but hey, I'll, I'm gonna be getting off in a second. But that garbage fire, that mess, the mm. the highs being so deceptively high and inevitably crumbling back to mm. the apathetic suffering that has defined Houston sports for the better part of the 21st century, my lifetime. That grants humility, which as harsh as that is to hear over and over and over again, it's more fun to be human and to share that humanity with other people than it is to have none of it at all. Uh, so I, so perfect example of this is that I poured a shot way back at the end of the Jeopardy thing. Because mm-hmm. I thought we were going to take like a final shot at the end of the Jeopardy thing, and I don't think we ever did, or I didn't take a shot because I was <gasps> completely wiped out of my mind. You don't have to. You don't have to. I was gonna. I was gonna knock this down. Uh, too I was late. gonna knock oh, this late. down. Oh, too late. <laughs> I got the emotions God high. I got, I got the emotions high. Like a one Houston last game. This is the peak. One for the road. And when you're sick later, this is you know, it's just symbolism hitting you in the face. So this is the I, I, final I, one. I, I'll, I'll be fine. I'm gonna take this final hit. I'm gonna let it, you know, sizzle for about ten minutes, and then I'm gonna get off. Perfect. Ah! <laughs> oh! There you go. Take oh my God! <laughs> Yeah. One too many. That one stuck. I, I, I'd like right to remind. Here. I would like to remind our viewers: this bottle was full. <laughs> it's now half full. Half, not half empty. Half full. Well, I figure if nothing else, being a Texans fan will strengthen your liver for uh, these things. So mm-hmm. that that drink stuck. It stuck right here on the K of the Coke. Oh yeah, it you're, stuck right here. It's right. swarmed you, you don't around. Feel that one. <laughs> It, it, it did a full Hungarian dance in my in my chest, and then it got down here. 
Uh, all right. Well, as we say goodbye to Joe, um, mm -hmm. Carlos, can you run through what we're doing this whole thing for again? Yes, absolutely. So uh, we're doing the podcast apocalypse or podocalypse or however we want to, however we're calling it, um, in support 24, of uh, 25 hours of torture. 25 hours. 25 hours straight um, for a charity. Um, we're focusing on the Cancer Research Institute, which is a phenomenal group, um, very highly rated uh, charity, like Scott has mentioned before. Um, we're also doing, uh, uh, we're also urging people to donate to Deshaun Watson's uh, foundation and also JJ Watts foundation, even though he's no longer a Texan. Um, he's still a vital member of the community um, and has done so much for us. And so it's only right that we give a little back to help some other people. And so um, whatever you can afford, even if it's, you know, a couple bucks here, a couple bucks there, or if, you know, you donate charities regularly, um, if you could just help out and, you know, we, have, we all know somebody who has been in dire straits and needs help. And so these, these groups do that kind of stuff for people. And so it would be much appreciated. Uh, I am going to, I'm going to head off now and I'm going to make room for Matt and the other people that we have coming on stream soon. Uh, thank you all for listening to me babble for what? I mean, it's been six, it's around five, five and a half hours now that I've been on here. Man. Y'all are the Iron Men, so there you go. Car we Carlos is a trooper. Ryan was on the whole time. Scott was mm -hmm. on the beginning and then on the bitter end here. You guys, you guys stuck through the dog days and while I was being a maniac the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. You're just, Thank you you're all every second. You're just testing your 22-year-old over there. <laughs> I'm, I'm testing it all baby I'm, I'm going the whole i'm going the whole nine yards as the old guys Giant like bullet. to say uh, <laughs> thank, thank, you, thank you to a couple of my friends that decided to tune in to cheer me on while i'm drunk at six in the morning stay on here because scott and carlos and ryan are geniuses <laughs> and matt's going to be coming on soon and he's also a genius he's absolutely worth listening to oh yeah but as all of right. right now, I'm going to hop off and I'm going to give them some time to talk. Thank all you right. all. Good night slash good morning. I'll see y'all soon. See yep. you, Joe. Bye. We'll see ya. Who? Yeah, you're you're going to be <laughs> tapping out here pretty soon, Carlos. Are you just oh, getting yeah. like your seventh win now? <laughs> going Iron Man here. Honestly, I'm just going to wave hi to Matt and just be like, see ya. Pass the fun. <laughs> so will I, but... Uh... Mm -hmm. Oh boy! Yeah. Do you guys have have any? Uh, since we're so early here, do you have any uh, game Sunday game day rituals you guys do in the morning or anything? Hmm. Well, with um, <laughs> you got a young kid that doesn't believe in sleeping in. Uh, your certain rituals tend to be overtaken by events. Um, yep. Yeah. So I mean, that's true. Yeah, it's. I think during football season that, you know, it's just always like, okay, when, when are they going to play? When do I need to try to focus in or right. feel like it's going to go wrong? Do it, you know, and, and it can be hard. Cause I know for me, like if I can't, you know, block off and fully focus for three hours on a game, then I don't want to know. Cause then like if I'm doing something else then I'm going to check back into the game. Then I'm just going to get sucked in anyway. So it's either right. I have to be there the whole time watching it, or I have to be cut off and don't know what happens. Right. 
it's it's kind of a weird yin and yang I get, but you can get so into it that you just lose track. And you know, weekends you got to take care of all the stuff you don't normally do during the week. And if you got family, you know, they're going to be a priority too. So you, you have to figure a way to juggle all that. Mm-hmm. Totally understandable. Did, did your schedule change at all this past season? Because mine, myself, I, I I really honestly didn't watch anything live very much with the. Uh, well, just how how poorly the season has gone, uh, and and maybe just the change of of uh, O'Brien knowing that this is going to be a lost season, kind of really kind of changed a few things. Well, I, I think what made it, I think what helped was you know, kind of the group therapy. We all suffer through the pain that we saw together, you know, because there was always the pressure coming out on the season. Like they've thrown everything in from nineteen. It's like they still they need to make this work because if they screw it up and they suck. They don't have, they're, they're really going to be in a bind. And of course it didn't happen, but then it's kind of like, if you get enough, you know, sort of the group commiseration of like, well, this all sucks together and you can just like, all at least acknowledge how bad it is and just kind of have fun with it. That helped that, that made it not as painful because if, you know, Texans going four and 12, especially with what they had and what they were facing would have been just brutal. And you don't need any more of that in this day and age. We, we got enough of that as it is. Don't need any extra help in the roughness department. So, um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, it, you know, just being a bit more, you know, kind of like as a group and a collective, we could see how brutal this was. And at least if you shared the pain, then it helped diminish the, the impact. Good morning, Matt. What's going on, fellas? Morning. Large we, Matthew. Uh, your, your, your question for the uh, morning is, did you have any game day rituals for the first that morning on Sundays, and did that change at all in 2020 since the team sucked? Uh, I think the biggest thing is that as I've gotten older, I'm not so hungover on Sunday morning, and it doesn't pair very well with the Houston Texans. And so it was much better off being a fan of the football team. I woke up hungover Sunday morning and just – let the slow drip of boring football just uh, pass through me until you know three thirty in the afternoon. Um, but other than that, really, it's been kind of about the same. You know, wake up and try to watch as many condensed games as possible, and then uh, and let the misery ensue. It's like an IV drip. Uh huh. Exactly. <laughs> let the ceiling fan click. You know, while the alcohol from the night before slowly goes through me. But I mean, I don't know. It's been. I think the biggest thing about last year, though, like as bad as it was, it felt like it was kind of expected eventually. I think we were, I know I was kind of wrong about two years before in the 18 season. They went, you know, 0 and 4 and then won, I guess, like 10 straight games after that. And then, uh, and this year's just kind of the dam bursted. And so it, it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens from there. But y'all have a good time last night. Y'all have a good night together. Staring oh, loving into each other's eyes. Oh, yeah. uh, no, no, we, uh, we drank. <laughs> Drunk Jeopardy. It's great. Uh, Everyone's Carlos, liver Carlos, is now fortified for weeks. Uh, uh, Carlos was uh, cold as ice and uh, with his questions. Did not let up. Although I think I think Jeff could probably give us a run for our money he, on that game. Matt, Matt, he gave us two questions about coaches that did not freaking coach in the NFL after the next season that he was talking about. <laughs> oh yeah do you uh, actually you know what you know maybe he, he, hold on he do looked, i still have it two of the questions were about the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators for the texans in like 06 and 07 both of them were no longer in 
NFL after the next year. So we have no point of reference outside of that year. Oh, really? Who was? What was the answer? Who was the offensive coordinator in 2006, Matt? I have no idea. Troy Calhoun. Sounds and, good. And Troy Calhoun, Calhoun is the current coach of where? The Washington Huskies. <laughs> uh, you have, have a, a question there, answer, Scott? I thought I knew off the tip of my tongue what college program he was at. but I will give you a hint. It is not a college. It is a uh, academy. Military. Mm. BMI? <laughs> Wait, is he, is he there? No, that's not it. No, DeBerry's at Air Force, I thought. No. You're close. You might, might be right. it, must, it has to be Army, then, if he's not at, uh, he's not at Air Force. He is at Air Force. It is Air Force. It is. Okay. You're, so yeah. you're right there. So he has been the Air Force head coach since 07, since he left the effing Texans. That's why that and name Carlos, sounds familiar. <laughs> and Carlos is like, hey, let me ask you a question about him. <laughs> <laughs> Ambush. Or do you know who the two offensive coordinators were in 2005, Matt? 2005, uh, I have no idea. I don't Chris know. Palmer and Joe Pendry. I, I remember Palmer was there. Wasn't even didn't they like fire him right about the bye week in that nightmare yes. season? And then it, Joe Pendry took over. <laughs> it, it didn't make a difference. I think they were last in every offensive category, and they were last in like every defensive category that year. So it just in which I re- re- remind you, Carlos. I said uh, it, they didn't have <clears throat> offensive coordinators because they didn't have any offense. <laughs> Which was true. I mean, that's points. Was was the 05 team the worst team in franchise history? Huh? Was the 2005 had... team the worst team in franchise history? I they... can't imagine so. What, what, no, the team that whatever team got us uh, uh, two and Clowney, I think Clowney, I think would have probably been the worst team. I don't know, but they were like they were at least talented though. They just lost a lot of close games and had some bad things happen. And like pretty much the same team went you know, nine seven the following year. Like it's not like they added that many different players to it, you know. I think the team that got Mario is probably the worst team in franchise history. Yeah, that was 05. And I think yeah, I think what hurt about it was it was the the false dawn of the expansion team that you know they'd gone seven and nine the year before, and it was like, okay, they're knocking at the door. Next year they're gonna kick that door down. They're going to be a winning season. They're going to be a playoff team. And it, they just never got off on the right foot that season. I think, every, you know, whereas 2013, you could argue, was kind of a – they were like just snake bit. I mean, it, it was a weird season. Like that team could have gone – you know, the 2013 team could have gone at least 9-7, and seven, maybe 10-6 and six if a number of breaks go the right way. But what's scary is that team also could have been 0-16 – is the first two games, the only two games they won, they had to come back from 21 down in San Diego and then an eight-point comeback oh, against yeah, right. Tennessee, like DeAndre Hopkins, welcome to the Texans game. Right. Which would have been so ridiculous for a team that people felt was a legit Super Bowl contender. I mean, of course, now I remember, I think it was like the Nando Johnson was on uh, Arian Foster's podcast and they talked about how broken that team was. Like a lot of the players they had, it was like, dude, you got to change this Rick Smith. We can't, we're not going to get there. And it turns out they didn't, but they were, their team was just kind of snaked it. You know, Hmm. whereas 05, they were just, they're just straight up bad. 
they'd imploded. Then they, there was nothing redeeming about that team. And but that you know purged the old one, got Kubiak, and at least it was a slow build, slower, slow-ish. But at least it got him to a point like where they could get to 2011 and 2012 and be legit contenders. Yeah, that, there are so many bad things about that season. Everything from Gary Kubiak collapsing at halftime in the Colts game and all the very easy jokes that Case Kim's performance completely knocked him out from uh, – because Case Kim threw for like 275 yards in that first half against Indy. And then that Chiefs game was probably – that was like the end of the season. They lost to Kansas City. And Keenum started that game and hit like Andre Johnson down the left sideline for a great touchdown. But Arian Foster got hurt that game. Brian Cushing got hurt on a Jamal Charles cut block. Uh, the Oakland game was terrible, and they lost to Matt McGloin and Andre Johnson and and Matt Schaub were screaming at each other on the sideline. It was like watching like a, a divorce take place in uh, live time. Jeff Tarpinian started linebacker for that team, which was a lot of fun to say. Um, they somehow then they lost to the Patriots by only one score and came back a little bit late, also in that year yeah. too. But and then they had that Week 17 just awful game against Tennessee that didn't matter at all. But uh, yeah, I mean, like it, I wrote about that year too how. Yeah, there's a lot of bad luck, but there's a team that can make the playoffs right away. And uh, they kind of almost did in the following year, but they just picked a bad quarterback and had, you know, Fitzpatrick and Mallet and Hoy, or I mean, Mallet and Keenum instead of actually investing in position all and kind of spare what happened for the rest of the decade from there. Yeah. It, so I think it was just, particularly 13 was tough to watch because, I mean, they, I think it was like a trend, like, you didn't have to check the rate. It seemed like every single halftime game, they had 17 points at halftime. That was just like the offensive cap. You're going to get 17 at halftime, and then after that, who knows, maybe a few field goals, maybe something. And also the the defense, Wade Phillips' defense, could not get a turnover to save its life that season. I think they had, what, 11 total fourth turnovers or something. It may have been even less, but it just – it was just hard to see. They were just snake bit and everything that could go wrong did, but they bounced back at least to nine and seven. So the next season, I mean, make of that what you will with Bob at the helm, but uh, yeah. yeah I, think had, I think they had a turnover differential, like negative, like 23 or something like that. Um, yeah, were, and I've been there. One score record was like, you know, two and nine or two and eight or whatever. And it was a, it was a rough year. Um, Ryan. So Joe asked, will the Texans have a winning team in 2023? And if they trade Watson, how long do you think it's going to take for them to have a winning football team again? Uh, no, they will not have a winning team in, 20, in 2023 uh, because <laughs> either, there's either two doors they can go through. They, Watson is still on the roster in 2023, which means that they go through 2021. There is I don't think there's a ton of moves you can make that a winning team this year. They go through the entire roster through 2022. Uh, and I think really, honestly, you shed all the bad contracts that you have there uh, through these two next seasons. And I think you probably get close to 500 is the best you can hope for in 2023. And the year you break through on is 2024, just because how bad this roster is. So the door number two is if you trade Watson, well, if you trade Watson, you're going likely with a young quarterback, if not a rookie quarterback, most likely a rookie quarterback. And that really – can you really expect a team this bad of a roster plus a rookie quarterback and probably some better assets that make the path to getting better a little quicker, but still 2024 is still the window. I think that's the thing is even if you keep Watson or trade Watson, you're still probably hoping for your 
nine and seven, ten and ten and six, eleven and five division championship level isn't coming until twenty twenty four. I see what you're saying. Do you think? Do you trust Nick Casario so far in being able to manage this rebuild if they were to trade Watson? Uh, I, I, um, too early. It's not necessarily even too early. It's that I don't think we have a sample size. Uh, I don't have enough. I don't have enough understanding of what his decision making process was in Washington, in, uh, Washington, New England. Um, what he had in charge of that decision. So I don't have enough sample size. Like I, I, I to use another Houston team. I didn't know what Jeff Luno's uh, quality of decision making was until I, I got to see some of the the, the turnover of that I got to see Mark. Gonzalez turned into an asset right away. That was literally his first decision. So if I see, start seeing this Nick Casario's decision making an impact, then I will. So I mean, I can I can say probably halfway through this coming season that yeah, the guys he cut didn't help the team. The guys he added helped the team. But I, I, on paper, I wouldn't say necessarily that's the biggest. That I, I can't say that he's a negative impact yet. I don't think he's making all the decisions at the same time either. That's the problem. It's, it's, there's a reason that Nick Casario is our GM and not somebody else. Uh, at some point, we have, uh, we have enough evidence here that uh, Jack Esterby is, has his hand in everything because culture is very important in the Houston Texans realm. <laughs> uh, so do you think that David Johnson signifies that uh, Easterby still has influence over personnel decisions, or do you think Casario thought you know David Johnson is a good player to have for the Houston Texans in 2021? The Lord says I am uh, <laughs> a good decision maker, so thus David Johnson must be on the roster. I'm sorry, I'm just channeling Jack Esterby. Uh, the point is, yes, uh, I think that, that there's an admission that, that you can't be, you can't have this bad of a decision making. I think, I think. On the surface of someone that doesn't isn't quite locked in on football, um, as a guy that is a, a former chaplain, probably went and made that decision, thinking that's that's what we need to do is get this guy out of the out of the out of the office, and at the same time uh, show that hey, we're the guys in charge, and and have this culture culture change from a guy that's. In the end, what's the worst thing about DeAndre Hopkins? He's a snazzy dresser and may have occasionally have some relationships outside of a, having a, a more traditional family home. Okay, Ooh. cool. But he, he's the hardest working wide receiver in the NFL. Okay, yeah, cool. That, and it, I mean, at least Casario. As much as Will Malign, what he, you know, how he resigned David Johnson and had way more guaranteed money than he was worth based on his, you know, right. twenty twenty performance. I mean, if you cut him, got it. That's an easy cap thing, and you can always bring him back. You know, if you're having trouble finding a running back or you feel like you need some sort of offensive weapon after the draft or whatever, you could always bring him back with a lower cap figure, lower guarantee. But if nothing else, at least it's a one year deal, and so you know, maybe get one more season out of him and then you set up for 2022, but it's hard. I think what's difficult for us is we just are not sure what, what's his end game. What, what's the strategy? Are you trying for the quick rebuild or are you playing the long game? I mean, no team is going to come right out per se and say we're tanking, you know, like Miami did a couple of seasons ago, but 
it's hard for us as fans to know where and and if you, if you you have it's difficult because you can't take Easterby out of the equation. Like right. if Easterby wasn't in factored in, all of these moves you're seeing from the Texans, you're like, mm, okay, you know, cuts along the periphery, changes in coaching staff, some front office changes after a bad season. Uh, I, know, I, you I, could I think- get that. I agree with all that except for keeping David Johnson this year. Because there's like really even if they kept him without the Easterby stuff, there's really like no football argument you can make for David Johnson two thousand twenty one. It's and it's not like the Texans are like, you know, a team that needs to especially like when you consider the cap hit of six point nine million dollars or six point four million dollars, whatever it comes out to be for Johnson, you know, that he's probably like the least important player play on the team right now because like you don't running back doesn't really matter all that much especially whenever you can get like an undrafted free agent for $600,000. You can provide the same level of production that he could and like a spread offense with Watson. And like, I mean, I, I agree with everything except for that one portion of it. I don't really understand it. And like, I, that's my thing with Kassir right now is that you know, it is too early with him, but just the decision to outright cut Watt and to keep Johnson around this year just gives me, you know, some cause of concern already that maybe, you know, what, like whatever he's doing uh, going forward may not be the right decisions to make. And how much of that's East Street, how much it isn't, I don't know. But it does kind of signify that East Street does have uh, some level of, of influence still and personnel decisions after they said so many times. That, well, Jack's great at this and this and this, but not really saying what he's actually great at and then saying he has no uh, personnel decisions at all either. Uh, which one of y'all has the rooster going on right now? I love it. It's beautiful. Okay. Who that is my cue. <laughs> I got to go because the roosters <laughs> in the back are going wild. They are like, screaming for whatever reason i saw somebody in the chat heard it i was like oh no oh, is that, are those your <laughs> oh, roosters, fellas? oh no. yeah we have roosters in the back and so i guess fucking main main guys going around yelling and shit so which rooster is your favorite whichever one is going in the soup next <laughs> don't matter i, I was, I was uh, gonna say none, none of them because i live in i live in a normal ass neighborhood and if someone across the street has roosters and they still go oh, really like, yeah they fucking uh, suck they suck i don't judge but, uh, anybody for having them but it's more just like what the hell do you think this is normal <laughs> <laughs> like this isn't this isn't like a country home like this is like a normal ass like suburban neighborhood and you have roosters in your backyard and they go off every morning. Like, <laughs> it's their biological clock. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame roosters. I'm just like, what the hell do you think that's okay for? <laughs> right. Um, but I'm going to take that as a cue to get off. Um, I do have one more question really quick for the newcomers to see if, um, if they can get a question that stumped almost everybody, which is, uh, what player played 63 games and managed an approximate value of zero, according to PFF? Unbelievable. Basically, Matt. Who who did it? I mean, I think it has to be a it's, special teams player. No, 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 no. I will help you right there. It is not John Weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Weeks had a 14, had an uh, approximate somehow, value of 14. Somehow the long snapper has a positive... <laughs> Yes, and this player played in 63 games and managed zero. This is a beautiful question, Carlos. It was one of the 500s. Unbelievable. Who do you think? Uh, man. Unbelievable. Can, uh, Carlos, can you add Scott back? Yeah. We'll go. 
There you go. Yeah, sorry about that. It was a <laughs> operator error there. I guess wrong button got clicked. I really, I mean, I have no idea. I really have okay. no clue. Scott, do you know who participated in sixty-three games and managed an approximate value of zero for the in the Texans' history? Yes. I had 63 games, so mm-hmm. I almost feel like I can't think of a name, but I wonder if it was like a a defensive lineman or something we had on the team. I'm, I'm not sure. Jay Prosh. Uh, oh. ah, I, I was thinking back <laughs> in mind, so, we were getting back to, we so getting back to the fullback discussion. Seems, so I, it seems about right. Matt, Matt, do you have any questions before we go? Because uh, Carlos and I have been uh, burning the midnight oil. Yeah, I have one question for you, Ryan. How is uh, covering sports in the time of COVID or in the waiting days of COVID potentially? Ooh, Ooh that's a good question. Um, I, we need to have a separate podcast here sometime soon where we, I can kind of yes. talk to you about how this past year was for you. The simple answer is a lot of it is the same and a lot of it is different. Um, uh, there's a lot more uh, checks and balances that happened. But at the same time, like I just went to the state swim meet and it didn't look a lot different than it all, except everyone wore a mask. There was as many coaches and as many swimmers on the deck at the same time as possible. There was a gigantic crowds around the, the pool. Um, so it, it was not different uh, at all, really. Um, but at the same time, it was different in a lot of ways in a lot of different sports. Um, so, I mean, I kind of just, Hope across my fingers and, and uh, hoped nothing bad happened. Basically, dang. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll send you an email. We'll we'll set up some time yeah. sometime soon. Talk For about sure. what it was like to cover sports in this past year during the, I guess the, like in the midst of like the middle of COVID and everything that occurred. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm interested because I see it. You know, I follow you on Twitter and all the tweets and everything and how you're covering things and like how kind of eerie everything looks. You know. Because they're playing games in the emptiness, even like in a football stadium, yeah. it's weird enough, but let alone like in a small high school stadium too at the same time, you know? Oh, yeah. And as I can tell you, I can definitely tell you uh, at every level because, I mean, I, uh, I may not have gone to stuff, but I know uh, I, I talked to our photographers and I talked to our, our the area beat writers and stuff that, that are going to games that are like college level and pro level and just it feels so much different. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. Yeah, it's where it's like, because, I mean, what, football, I think, was pretty much the same, but there was just an emptiness to it, you know. I've yeah. seen the games, like, the lack of fans and the cutouts and everything else, and it still was football, but there was just something kind of off about the entire time. I look forward to uh, uh, the the details we get about what that year is, how that – hopefully this one year is different, and we're not talking about two years of difference. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I mean, everything I listened to recently, uh, just even like listening to like stock stuff and one of the CEOs, one of the pharmaceutical companies was saying that he thinks there'll be more vaccines that people can get vaccinated in April. And it sounds like May, that's probably more likely to happen than April will. Uh, but I guess the biggest question is like how many people actually want to get vaccinated in places like you know, Texas and Florida and areas that are like, nah, I mean, I'll be okay, you know, and that's where general mindset that a lot of people have in those areas too, so. Um, it'd be interesting, but I would expect like football will be football pretty close to how it was before, you know, this year. Right. This well, uh, season. As Carlos and I uh, make sure you help out the cancer and uh, JJ Watt and, 
and uh, Watson Foundations here. We 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 do this for them, not not to entertain ourselves here, obviously. Absolutely. Please, please donate if you can. Whatever means you have available to you, please, please, please do. Have a good morning, guys. Yeah, y'all too. All right, gentlemen. Have a good rest of the day, y'all. All right. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.